Bring it in. Read Option Podcast back after an exhilarating week 10 in the NFL where we had the most, I believe that the, the statistic is the most game-winning plays where there were zeros left on the clock. So essentially game-winning field goals primarily because all of them were game-winning field goals. I believe we had five of them this week. Uh, but the most game-winning plays at, at, as time expires in the history of the NFL this week. And, of course, we all thought it was going to be a bit of a dud of a week in the NFL. And uh, the NFL said, not so fast. We understand. There's no Chiefs. There's no Eagles. There's no Dolphins. But we still have some bangers for you. And that's exactly what we had. An awesome week 10 uh, priming up for a phenomenal second half of the season. The schedule in the second half of the season is amazing. So I feel like we've gotten kind of most of the meh weeks out of the way. Uh, it still feels like in a lot of cases, it's anybody's game in terms of playoff seating, in terms of uh, Super Bowl contenders alone. And I have a question to ask you guys that we'll get to here before we get into the games uh, that will kind of lend itself to that. But whole lot's going on, and we do have the full crew here, Scotty and Vito. The boys are here, and it's great to see you both as we jump into all of the Week 10 action uh, after another awesome weekend of football. So how are we doing, boys? Penn State aside. Uh, nobody's hoping that train, so I'm good. <laughs> yeah, man, I mean, pretty good. Good, uh, like you say, good weekend of football. Uh, bad betting weekend for your boy. Those those will happen. Same. It's been up this year. So uh, really, yeah. really bad one. And uh, you know what? It's still still uh, that that's the thing about um, betting. You got to go with the ups and downs. So you've been up. You know, you're kind of you get a setback. That'll happen. Can't let it affect yeah. you. You got to keep yeah. doing your game. So uh, I love how I'm talking about myself. Like I'm playing cornerback and someone just scored a touchdown on me. Like you that's, just got that to forget next play. No, that that's, is, yeah. that is what it is. You know, it's exactly <laughs> it's totally the same. That. There's no difference. No, you're you're 100 right. I was in the same boat after coming off of my hot streak and feeling myself a little bit. The best gambling weekend, uh, you know, a couple of weeks I should say that I've ever had. Felt good coming into this week. Had a little extra dough to play with. Almost broke even compared to where I was. So ultimately, still didn't hurt myself too much. But it took a couple of last ditch hail Mar- hail mary parlays in the, uh, the late window to kind of get me back to that point. So we're, we're just about where we were going into the week, which is still way above where we were coming into it. So things are good across the board. Um, but boys, I have a couple of things we have to hit before we get into it. There's, there's four things on my agenda before we get into the games from this weekend. First up, and, and most importantly, college game day, returning to the – father of all game days coined by one Reese Davis game days coming back to Harrisonburg. The Dukes are 10 and 0 ranked 18th in the eight in the AP poll playing as good of football as anybody in the country and game days coming back to one of the top five best places of all time for college game day. And it's returning to Harrisonburg and I am so fucking stoked. And I know you boys, I get it. It's a tough loss with all the Harbaugh drama. It was a weird, gross game, you know, yeah. on Saturday. And I feel Ooh, for America's the boys. team, right? Yeah, whatever. But 
what I've loved is and, and and Vito, remind me of your buddy who sent you the JMU graphic. JT. JT. Oh, yeah. JT out in Kansas. What I love about this podcast is if for, for our OT listen listeners, our OG listeners, and JT, you are one of them, and all of these people, we are spreading the good word of James Madison University Athletics to the country here. Okay. We we are, I was just going over some of the analytics with Scotty. The numbers are are at levels that still don't make sense to me. We're at almost 20,000 downloads on this podcast. That's a lot of people who have spent their time listening to us idiots talk about sports. Um, But the good word of JMU has been spread across the country, not only because of, of me, but because of you guys. And we are a JMU podcast, right? I've been pulling for Penn State. You guys pull for, for JMU. Symbiotic relationship here. The Dukes and college game day is returning. And in honor of that, I have one of my first props, and this is why we need to do better about putting up YouTube more consistently. I have a beer here. Uh, it's from Three Notched Brewing. Uh, if you're not familiar with Three Notched Brewing, they're based out of Charlottesville, Virginia, which is the home of the University of Virginia. It's also only about 30 to 45 minutes down the road from Harrisonburg, where the Dukes and where College Game Day will be heading this weekend. The best part about this beer is that this beer is not a new beer. All right. This beer has been around for several years. And I've mentioned on the pod before, I work at a craft beer bar in Northern Virginia. I, I, I'm around the area. And the founder of Three Notch Brewing, which is a very big brewery here in the Northern Virginia area, came to our bar to show us their new marketing. But he told me a story. And I wanted to share this story on the pod because right now I'm feeling JMU right now. I'm feeling the purple and gold. What's amazing about this beer is Three Notch, based out of Charlottesville, they want to cater to their, you know, the people who who spend time in Charlottesville. But when you come up to Northern Virginia, right outside of D.C., you get a lot of Virginia Tech, you get a lot of JMU, you get a lot of UVA, right? That's kind of the big three that you get in this area. What's incredible was – they made this beer, which for those listening is a purple and gold beer, right? The lay, the logo, the logo and all the marketing on it, purple and gold. And there's crowns similar to the one that sits atop of Duke dog's head for the JMU Dukes. And you would think in this beer called the King of Clouds that it might be marketed specifically towards JMU, but it is not. And it might have actually caused quite the controversy at Three Notch Brewing because When these designs got made up, nobody checked them and nobody brought up the point that this kind of looks like this UVA town brewery is supporting the Duke. So I've had one. I've had a few of these in my in my refrigerator. So I had to bring one out for you guys today. The Dukes of JMU hosting game day once again. And I know for Penn State, you power five boys. It is what it is. Game day. It's a dime a dozen for us. It's a big ass deal. We deserve this shit. We deserve as much of the national attention as we can get. JMU is pushing hard. The NCAA never thought we would get this far being undefeated. Another letter has been sent. I have a hunch, if I'm being honest, if the Dukes finish the season undefeated, I think JMU is going to be approved to play in a New Year's Six Bowl game as the highest ranked group of five school in the country. That'd be awesome. Um, it really would, both for for the program and for the for the university, uh, and for the dedicated alumni like yourselves. Game day is a big deal, so much that like I, I don't know about you, Vito, but I was even ticked about the fact that Fox had their stupid big noon coverage, uh, which 
interfered with the fact that this would have been a primetime game for Penn State against Michigan at home and interfered with the fact that there was another top 10 matchup that ESPN was just like, eh, okay, we'll go down to Athens, Georgia this week. I wanted game day in Happy Valley. It's always electric, uh, way more electric than than having a couple of washed up USC and Alabama and Notre Dame folks on the uh, on a panel with Urban Meyer talking about um, college football. And I, I, I mean, I get up and watch game day every day, every Saturday. So that that's my big ritual. Get up, take the dog out uh, to, to get a walk, make the coffee, go back upstairs, hang out with my wife and watch uh, and watch college game day. Um, that's the ritual. So it's a big deal for you. Uh, Penn State season largely done, although we might meet in a bowl game if that's the case. Um, Do you and, imagine? Uh, Can you imagine if we have a JMU but, Penn uh, State Friendship bowl game? But I'll tell you what, a three week hiatus. No matter yeah, what no the kidding. result. <laughs> I, that would it'll, be a hundred thousand percent right now. I'll call this. If that ever happens, I'm going to emotionally hedge the fuck out of that pick and pick Penn State. Solely for the emotional hedge. That will be the only reason. But I'm I'm saying it now. So if we ever get to in the future, no one can call me a hypocrite. It's, I'm saying it's it the now. same. It's the same hedge you and I had in the NFC Championship last year. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So yeah. It's the same same logic. But uh, our season largely done. Our second loss dealt to us. I am all in on JMU for you, buddy. Thank you. I know we're we're gonna win whatever we win the rest of the year. We got three games left. We could win out. Doesn't matter. Not going to the playoff. I'm all in for you. Go do That's what I like to hear. Oh, it's big, man. It's big time to get it. I, Scotty, I have a little opposing view on Fox. I think you're like, yeah, it sucks they're early, but I actually like that staff. I like the crew they have there. Um, I think, I just think Desmond's they can get rid of old. Urban and I'd be okay. I think, uh, I think, well, I think there's just some, some, if, if they merged, I would love it. Let's put it that way. There's some sp- people from each side I'd love to pick. But a- anyway, to the point of the actual weekend. Uh, great time seeing some games, even though Penn State lost. It was feels like we underplayed, right? Like we deserved to lose. This wasn't like a, we had a bunch of crazy penalties that killed us. Like there are worse ways to lose is my point. Yeah. This is one that's very digestible because it's like this is on us. I love that we already fired our offensive coordinator. He should have been gone last year. He continued. I'm, I'm glad we made the move. I know you can look at the stats and it's like, oh, they're 11th or 15th in scoring in the nation. It's like, yeah. We also ran it up against everybody because Franklin covers spreads. Okay. But besides that, like it hasn't been there. I'm glad we're moving on some great games throughout the weekend. I had a fantastic weekend, not traveling. I didn't get in a plane at all this weekend and I watched so much football. Yeah. Hey, first time in a couple months will be the first time for the next few months. So it's big for me. Uh, well, we make the joke all the time. We're like, Oh, where's Vito broadcasting from this week. And if it feels like it's, been about a month straight of you in cleveland like we haven't obviously yep. you're getting you're getting some work done in philly so that's part of the reason yeah, but it's, when I it's travel yeah it's like quicker to your point yeah it's been it's a lot of nice it's it feels like what you know when you pop up on the zoom it's like i know where you're coming from which is which is great um a couple other tidbits here on the on the uh on the game day thing uh, I'll start off with the the bad side. One of our most loyal listeners, who you guys have both met, I've referenced multiple times on the pod, Brian Kikaiko, OG friend of mine. Go, we go all the way back to to very very young childhood. I love the kid to death. Uh, wonderful guy. He texted me about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. His roommates went to App State. So when JMU made the move, we had planned like a year and a half ago, like the first App State JMU game. We got to all go down and go to the game together. And so he texted me a few weeks ago being like, hey, 
we got to go down, you know, general admissions, like 30, 40 bucks. Like we got to go, we'll figure it out. We'll have a good time. We'll tailgate. We'll do the whole thing. And I was like, ah, I don't, yeah, I was kind of hemming and hauling and like, I wanted to go. Of course I wanted to go, but you know, I have a girlfriend and a life and things. And like, I didn't know if I'd be able to commit to it. So I'd never fully committed to it. And then this news breaks. Right. And it's like, of course, the weekend where I could get tickets at a reasonable price to go down to JMU and be in Harrisonburg. The tickets are now like the cheapest tickets you can get resale are like three hundred and fifty dollars. That's insane. So let me tell you what. I'm just going to tell you right now. And it's cool to your point. It's cool for JMU. It's cool. Like game day and everything is great. I think going to game day in person after you've done it once is like the first time you do it, it's cool to see. It's awesome. And then after that, you're like, okay, I'd rather yeah. listen on TV. It, it's a very different feeling if you're not a student. So like, I don't, I don't, I'm, just trying to give you, I'm trying to tell you like, cause you which, had, like, I don't know. It's different. Which that it's, plays into what I was going to follow up, which is that I was lucky enough that like, and part of the reason game day is such a big deal for me personally, is that what I saw two college game days at JMU while they were FCS one was my sophomore year where I literally slept on the quad the night before and was able to get into the like the pit section right behind mm-hmm. the stadium as a you know a, a young, dumb 19-year-old kid slept out on the quad with a sweatshirt as a pillow with a fifth of whiskey hidden underneath it. Right. That was my pillow. So we could wake up and have a good time the next morning. All right. Like that's that's what we did. To then my senior year, miraculously, game day comes back. And I was covering JMU sports at the time. I got a chance to meet the guys from college game day. I, you know, so I've been able to experience it in perfect in person as many different ways as, as, as you can. Right. Right. So like, I'm okay with missing this one. If I do end up missing it, there is a small chance I might, might wake up Saturday morning and say, fuck it, let's drive down and let's be legends and let's go do it. Probably not going to happen, but we're still working out whether that's going to be something we do or not. Um, but game day holds a special heart uh, spot in my heart. And also one of my all time best bets of all time. And if you had given me the odds on this veto, you would have hammered it a hundred percent. My freshman year, Jamie is an FCS school for the first time in like 10 years. Jamie is like a top 10 FCS school, right? In terms of football, Vad Lee was our quarterback. We knock off SMU in triple overtime on a walk-off fade route to the back left corner of the end zone in SMU. Massive deal. It's the first time I can ever remember seeing JMU on ESPN was that throw and that play my freshman year. And we made a bet with me and one of my best friends in the world. His name goes by the name of Pearson Swanson, phenomenal musician. If you haven't looked him up, uh, all this stuff is out there on, on Spotify and whatnot. And he is a particularly hairy gentleman, right? Even as like, an 18 year old freshman had a full, but a full bed of chest hair. Right. And so we made a bet my freshman year that if college game day ever came to JMU, that we could shave the JMU logo into his chest hair. And if you had given him the odds in that moment, it would have been like plus 15,000. It would have been outrageously high in his favor only for less than a year after making that bet to have college game day be on JMU's campus. So game day, will forever have a special spot in my heart because of that. But I do agree with you. Once you've seen it a couple of times in person, you've seen it. And I think it'll be cool if I, if I don't end up going to watch it from home or to go to a bar yeah. and watch it and, and to see the background and everything they do. And I know JMU nation is going to show up 
in, in, in droves to, to go out. But it's also crazy that it's like, it's not weird because they're like one of the best group of five teams. And like every year game day goes to one of the best group of five teams. So it doesn't feel weird that JMU was picked now, even though in the back of my head, I still think of JMU as like the plucky FCS team that, that, that we were when I was there, which is, which is really, really cool. Um, so that was, that was number one. Number two, I have another beer here. I'm not going to open this one, but I, I was gifted this by a friend of mine and it's fitting not necessarily after yesterday, but it's fitting after last week. And uh, there's a fantastic brewery up in Pennsylvania known as Weyerbacher and Weyerbacher makes a bunch of really, really cool beers. They do a bunch of stuff, but they have a special edition beer here. I'm going to show this to you guys. It's backwards on the zoom, but uh, if you can read it backwards, it says Dallas sucks and it is a craft beer so uh i've never tried it before i will open it later when we uh when we bring up the dallas game but i thought that was at least worth mentioning since we had a little bit of a beer beer one connection beer two connection and then that ties us to the third thing i want to bring up before i have a question for you guys about the nfl the third story is so my internet went out earlier today i'm at home i'm trying to do work i'm doing stuff internet goes out I sit for about 30 minutes, doesn't come back. I go, all right, I got to go somewhere to go, you know, work. The bar I work at right up the street. I said, you know what? I'll go over there. My friend's there. The one who gave me this beer as a gift. You can only get it up outside of Philly. She brought a six pack back for me as, as, as a nice little gesture. So I go up and I get the six pack and I'm sitting there. And I know I told the story during the Super Bowl. but we had, and I asked you guys whether or not I should go to my bar because they were doing, our our you know team party or whatever you call it right for our, our employee that. night yeah. right and it was this whole thing about do i go or do i not go because i know i'm a sociopath and i know if i go in front of work colleagues and friends and stuff i don't want to risk me becoming too much of a sociopath especially during the super Bowl. well i decided to go and until now outside of me being a major bummer at the end of the night because the eagles lost i didn't think anything came out of that night Until today, where I'm talking to the owner and my friend Julia, who used to be the GM at at the pint, the bar I work at, uh, was sitting next to me and we were talking about the Dallas sucks beer. And the owner goes, oh, Julia, did you ever tell Jeff about the story? And I looked and I was like, well, what story? What, right. what I only had three beers that night because I was so locked in on the game. I know I wasn't hammered. Like what happened? What did I do that? I might've blacked out in rage and frustration. And she goes, no, I never told him. And he goes, well, my son and Darren, the owner, his son, it's about tw- is 12 years old. He was the one who just made a run, tried to make a run to the little league world series came up a little bit short this past summer. Uh, apparently was given a, writing assignment in English class where he was told to tell the story of somebody who showed extreme passion in a moment. And this assignment happened to be given to him the day after the Super Bowl. (laughs) So Uh the owner of the pint, the bar I work at Sun wrote an article, wrote a page paper for his middle school class about me and my behavior during the Eagles Super Bowl. That's dude. That's the dream right there. You're inspiring the youth. I mean, I that kid, he's going to remember it. 
You know how when you write something down after you hear it, you remember it better? He wrote a fucking paper on how to be a passionate fan for a Super Bowl. I think you're inspiring the next generation. I think you should take that in a very proud way. So I hope I mean, that's the case. Yeah, I don't did, know. did you drop F-bombs? Like, I don't know. Have you been yes, able to locate this assignment? Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I said as few F-bombs as I physically could have during that Totally moment, get right? it. Right? Totally like, get it. Whatever yeah. the least amount that I could possibly muster, I definitely dropped some, but whatever the smallest so like amount possible. Maybe 12. Yes. Yeah. Ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was how many I said. Whatever the least amount possible is what I said. So, but here's the thing, though. I need a copy of this. Yeah. I need a copy oh, yeah. of this and we need to do a live reading of it at the end of one of our podcasts. And I'm, I'm, I'm efforting right now to try to get a copy of this, of this paper, but the, the terror mixed with laughter that I had in that moment of being like, Oh, and here's the good news. He got an a, so Boom. it couldn't have Boom. been too, too bad unless like, his youths out here. Unless Jeff. his I'm teacher's like you. a diehard Commanders fan and was just like, "Yeah, fuck this Eagles fan. This is hilarious," uh, which could very well be the case too. I need a copy of this to to confirm this, so that way I don't feel as bad. But the fact that like my insanity that night made it onto a a graded English assignment for a child is something that I don't know if I'll ever be able to like fully reconcile. <laughs> But I think you're right. You made I it. Think, yeah. I hope you're right, Vito. I think I, I I hope you are. I'm an optimist. I'm an a fucking optimist. So anyway, we can jump into the games, but I watched in public, by the way, this weekend. I watched the Penn State game at a bar in because yeah. everyone in Ohio was rooting for Penn State, so it was kind of fun. But I went mm-hmm. out and there were definitely moments where under my breath I was like, you'll be fucking kidding. Like I was just cursing up a storm and I was like with uh, my friend Jill and we were just sitting there watching and I was like, I can't, I can't do this right now. Like I am freaking out. Thank God. Like, again, it was a digestible loss and yeah. I didn't have to like throw, like, you know, fizz, like get us kicked out. So yeah. I'm proud of myself. The, the Eagles Cowboys game. Like after, after my performance at the Eagles commanders game, uh, I, f- I felt like I needed to give myself a stern talking to and just be like, Hey, maybe, maybe it's time we dial it in when you're in public. Right. So the Eagles Cowboys game, I was in public with a group of friends and everyone kept looking at me being like, is he, is he about to explode? Is he okay? Like any bad thing, anytime the Cowboys scored anything, I was just like, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go defense. Like just trying really hard to kind of keep my shit together as much as possible. Everything is fine. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, are you, is he okay? Like he, nothing's been broken. Nothing's been, I haven't heard him yell once. Is he, and then like the last two minutes of the game, it was, you know, all hell broke loose, but, um, but yeah, so those, those were the, my little tidbits coming into the pod today. We don't do that all the time, but I felt like they all kind of went succession. We had to hit game day. We had to hit everything else. Um, but before we get into the games, I do have a question for you guys because this weekend was obviously great, right? Tons of really, really good games, but I felt like the outcomes of the scores themselves posed a lot of questions. And I went through the list of every team in the NFL right now, went through the standings, and I tried to ask my like, – I tried to do that like thing you do in therapy sometimes. You're like visualize something that happens, right? And I tried to visualize as many teams as possible that I could legitimately see winning the Super Bowl this year. And the number okay. surprised me. 
because in a year where I keep going back and forth between parody and then saying like, well, the chiefs are going to beat everybody right at the end. And then the chiefs lose to Denver. And then there's the, and then Buffalo falls back and then Cincinnati loses. And it's just like every week there's been a little notch taken out of pretty much every team. And even the Eagles who are the most unblemished of all teams still haven't quite looked like in the Eagles team of last year that went to the Super Bowl and lost. So my question to you guys is legitimately, what is that number and what are those teams? Because at this point, we are 10 weeks into the season. We are past the mm-hmm. halfway point. Historically, that is the You'll point. You'll say that. Historically, that is the point of the season where you can look at teams and go, I believe this team can win. I don't see this team winning. And there's some teams on there that kind of surprised me with my answer. So, Scotty, Vita, if you want you guys, I can go first if you want. Yeah. And I'll give I mean, you guys yeah, a second. I need someone I else to go because you actually just rocked my world with the fact that the football season's half over and now I'm like depressed. So go ahead. Let what me you get do, the man? Myself, Unfortunately, I'm going to get my answer. I, you're just I, saying I, facts. I just haven't realized them yet. I love, I, uh, you know, I'm an optimist. I'm a delusional of course, optimist. Sometimes. Of course. But like, look at the AFC, right? The AFC is the best example of this because when you look at the AFC, if you look at the standings mm-hmm. of the AFC right now, it's shocking how many teams that it's hard to see get to that point, right? So Kansas City, lock them in. We know Kansas mm-hmm. City can win the Super Bowl this year. It's Mahomes. It's a good defense. Even if we don't love it, we can lock them in. There is a world I can see Baltimore win. Yeah. So I'm, I'm based off Baltimore of the there. letter of the law, I have to include them in there. But it's by a thread because I've said all season that I have not been impressed with that offense, despite the efficiency and despite some of the other stuff, there is just something off with them that I can't quite put my finger on. But the defense has been really good, so I will put Baltimore in that situation. Then you look at the three seed right now in the AFC. That's Jacksonville. I do not see a world where Jacksonville wins the Super Bowl this year. You look at the four seed of Miami. I do not see, as of right now, a world where Miami can win a Super Bowl. Then you go to Pittsburgh who has a negative point differential, but is yet the five seed in the AFC. Cannot see them winning a Super Bowl. Cleveland. Deshaun Watson finally has one pretty good game as a Brown, but the defense still didn't look as good as it did before. You would think, based off of how good that defense has performed up into this point in the season, that you would. I do not trust Deshaun Watson. I do not see Cleveland as a potential Super Bowl candidate. And then you have to skip Houston. Don't see it. And then you get to the last two, the eight and nine seed in the AFC right now, Cincinnati and Buffalo. And I have a very, very hard time picking either of those teams after what we said. Now, like biased, I love Josh Allen. I love Joe Burrow. I can see those guys holding up a Lombardi trophy. But there's so many question marks around the rest of those teams right now and the games that they've dropped inexplicably that I have a hard time picking either one of those teams to say I can see them in my eye, my mind's eye winning a Super Bowl. So I come away from the AFC being like, I can confident, like feel pretty confident in two teams that I can see, right? You could make the case for Cincy or for Buffalo. I don't see it. I don't think Jacksonville, Miami, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Houston belong in that cap- category. Then you go to the NFC, the Eagles. Yes, I can see the Eagles potentially winning the Super Bowl with that roster, with the way that they're built, the way they're winning close games. 
Don't feel amazing about it as a fan, but as an objective football guy, yes, compared to the rest of the league. Detroit. Is there a world you see a Jared Goff holding a Lombardi trophy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, I, I have a whole different list, but keep going. Keep going. Which is why I am asking this question, because I know I'm going to be a tough grader here. And if you guys aren't, perfect. Like Optimus Vito, that's exactly why I'm asking this question. But Detroit, yeah. the offense looks great. The defense has been a roller coaster and is really, really young. And I have a hard time believing that they're going to be able to hold, like hold, come up with a big stop in that moment in a Super Bowl to beat a Kansas City or a Baltimore, a team like that. But especially when Baltimore is one of those teams and we saw what happened between Detroit and Baltimore earlier this year, it makes it hard. San Francisco, yes, absolutely. San Francisco, I think, belongs in that conversation. Seattle, no. I don't really? see a world where Geno Smith is lifting up uh, I, I think I think they you. could make a playoff I love run. you, buddy. I, I always knew you were right. <laughs> I think I, I think they could make a deep playoff run. I think they could be a really feisty team. I think they could knock out a San Francisco in the postseason. I don't see them making a run to the postseason be, or to the Super Bowl because of how young and inexperienced that defense is, as talented as it is. And then you go to the fifth team, which is the only other team I'm adding to this list, and it kills me. The Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Now, ultimately, you look at the Cowboys and you'll say, it's Mike McCarthy. It's Dak. It's the Cowboys. They're going to choke. Yes, probably. But is there a world with the talent on that team, with, with the way that they have as many weapons as possible, with the defensive weapons they have on the other side of the ball, that you can see it, visualize it? Yes. I have it to like, I can see five teams realistically getting there. And that I is really crazy low. and what's crazy is like it it feels low, but I can I, maybe I could phrase it this way: I can make a stronger argument against all of those teams to even get to the Super Bowl than I can to make it for them. Whereas I can make a stronger case for San Francisco, Philly, or Dallas to make the Super Bowl, or Baltimore or Kansas City to make the Super Bowl than to make it against them not making it. And so ultimately. Yeah, that's, those, not the question. The that's not the question though right the question is which of these teams can make it you you're forgetting teams like all right the 2011 giants were seven and seven yes and then they won their final two games and won a super bowl and and like what i'm saying though is you're discounting that a lot of t- the patriots first run they were six and six when they finally made a turn like a lot of teams in the quarter pull at the end of the season make their run and that's the teams that get hot so to me when you're saying who could be in it I have this way more open. I think the Texans could make it. I think the Jags could make it. I think the Browns could definitely make it. Like with that defense and the Texans could get hot and streaky. The uh, the Jags almost did. Uh, and then the, like the Chiefs, listen, yeah, obviously the favorite, but could they lose against any a lot of these teams? Yeah, they've, they've lost twice already this year. I, I don't think they're invincible. The Bills could get hot. The Jets, if they get Aaron Rodgers back, you didn't even mention, if they're at least contending, which – Probably won't be. No, that, but that offense looks real bad. Yeah. And then on the NFC side, like Seattle, I think Seattle is the perfect team. The first team I thought of when I was like, probably a team that could make it again, that giant style. They run the ball well, play good defense. They can, they can win games that way. They're going to be in a lot of games that way. They just got to win a turnover battle, get lucky here or there. That happens all the time. NFL is just those one game playoffs. If this was series, if this was any other sport. It, the list would be a lot smaller. That's what I love about football. Correct. And maybe I'm but, the delusional fan. No, but so this is the that's the point, right? In a single game, yes, you're right. 
in a single game, right? Like I think the Vikings were a more talented team than the Giants last year, especially out of what we've seen out of the yes. Giants so far. But the Giants yeah. won that game because the ball bounced their way in the right moments of those games for one game. But to make a playoff run, it is kind of like winning a series, right? You have to win enough games to get to that point, which means that overall the luck becomes less of a factor and the quality of the team itself is what's going to kind of power through to the next point. And this is why I love this question because the way I phrased it was in your mind's eye, right? To me, I value the elite rosters. I'm valuing like the teams that have the elite quarterback that have a good defense, that have a strong coaching staff that have what seems to be a more holistic team approach that will be able to get them to that next level. All those teams that are on the borderline have major, major flaws. And you can pick out flaws in the five teams that I said I do, I think can get to that level, no question. But I feel a lot better about those five teams than the other five. And ultimately, like as much as I've loved Seattle this year and have been pushing for them all season, I still see major holes in that team and in that the way that that team is done. Same thing with Detroit. I love what Detroit has done this year. I still have a hard time fully buying in to this Lions team, especially after they just went toe to toe and down to the wire. Like, like seven and two looks awesome until you look at their full, like full litany of their schedule and, and what the outcomes of their games have been. And then it makes it a little bit easier to see like, okay, I'm not fully in. This is why you're a perfect person to ask though, Vito, because you do look back to the, seven and seven giants, right? You do look back to the Patriots teams that lost six games in their first run and won the Super Bowl, right? My argument to that would just be that hasn't happened in a a while. That hasn't happened since those giants teams. The the talent has outweighed the rest for a long time in the NFL. The Bengals made the Super Bowl, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, if you're just taking, if we're taking the last 10 years, we're taking the last 10 years as a sample size. 2021, I meant. Sorry. Well, Tom, Tom Brady throws a wrench into that, but I'm with you. I'm with you. You're, you're right. And same thing with Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati was a four seed. They find their way into the Super Bowl. They lose that game to the Rams. The Rams were a three seed. I'm with you. But I think it's a fascinating exercise because I think it shows exactly where people kind of fall off on different teams. Scotty, what's your list of teams? Uh, I mostly agree. Um with you, Jeff. Um, I really, you know, I, I, I think on the AFC side, I think you throw in the dolphins. Um, and and for the same reason that, that Vito's list was longer, I I would sort of throw in the variable of, Hey, like let's project matchups. Like all it takes is a bounce here or there, a good matchup for the dolphins, a good two matchups for the dolphins, good three matchups for the dolphins gets them to the super bowl. Um, because I think they can at least run with any team on offense. Uh, or with their offense, um, the Lions I think are are a similar use case where you're like, yeah, this team's good on both sides of the ball, but you look at their schedule and who have they really played, and does that matter? Because um, me, like looking at it as an NFC fan, I think you might be the same way. I don't want no part of those Lions in the playoffs. Nothing. No. Get them away from me. Get them out before before we have to play them. I don't want to be their first round matchup. No. Not get them out of here. Um, so that's why I would leave them on the list uh, in the NFC. Ravens, obviously, I think they've just had a, a couple of games where the offense gets streaky. And if their offense gets hot, then all of a sudden now we're cooking. Um, and, and they're in the, in the mix for a Super Bowl. 
Same thing with the Bengals. Um, I think they're, they have to be legitimate contenders, despite the fact that they're at the bottom of the AFC North table right now. Um, but the, 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 the cut of above that you talked about the chiefs, the Niners, the Eagles, I wouldn't even throw the Cowboys in there. I wouldn't Mm. because in every big game so far this year, they have choked when they play bad opponents, they look really, really good. And that defense looks good when they play big games, they choke, especially on the road. So uh, I'm anticipating they're going to have a road matchup in the postseason, and that is going to be uh, not a good start for them. Um, So I think it's a, it's, it's a bit of a hybrid there. I think the, uh, I'd throw the bills in, in the AFC too. So uh, I think it's a bit of a hybrid of your guys' uh, rationales. Um, I see the, the world where, uh, where the matchup matters. And, and I also see the, the, the argument that we've hit this point of the season where there's like, uh, yeah, there's really th- three, four teams, five teams maybe that have solidified the fact that we can legitimately without question, put them in any seating, in any scenario, um, in a playoff bracket, and say they are poised to make a run. doesn't matter who they're playing. doesn't matter where they're playing. They're good. Yeah. And and look, the one that I, I wrestled with the most was Detroit, because Detroit reminds me a lot of where Philly was a year ago, right, which was people questioning the schedule, people questioning, like, what whether or not they can do it in a big stage. They're unproven, how we've seen it. Look, I mean, I, I sat here after the Eagles beat the Cowboys and was like, hey, as long as you go three and two in your next five games during this hard stretch for the Eagles and you win the rest of the games, you're going to win the NFC East. That very well may not win you the the overall division or the conference. Like the, the Lions could end up with the one seed. And then we're talking about a totally different ball game where the Lions have to win two home games as the one seed. And that can put them into the postseason. Right. So that was the one team that I felt like I had a hard time kind of going back and forth with I'm open to obviously anything can happen in sports and that's why we love sports that's why sports has the ravenous fan base that it does but what's I think just fascinating about where we stand right now is that you can poke holes in every single team to a level that we really haven't seen in a while like we've had a couple of blip seasons but like even the year that it was Rams Bengals in the Super Bowl like the Chiefs were the runaway favorites the entire season, yeah. and the Bengals got got them in since in Kansas City in a way that no one thought was going to happen, and pulled off the upset. Ultimately, I think we're, we're we're going to head down this path in the NFL this season where we have a bunch of really solid teams at the top. No one is pulling away, and there's still enough games left that somebody could do that. But for where we stand right now at the halfway point. There is, it, it feels like it's anybody's game, but even I, yeah. within that parody, it still feels like there's a few teams that are just, you can see it, you know? Yeah. And I would draw the comparison with what we saw in baseball this year. There was a ton of parody up and down each league. There were two really clear cut teams at the top in either league and neither of them made the post, well, three and two of them were in the national league and neither of them made the world series. It was two teams who, uh, nobody who gave a, a, a lick of a shot to um, for the most part in the postseason that made great runs got hot when they needed to. And this too, like if you consider it, this is like the, the late August, early September part of, of, of the equivalent of the NFL season um, to, to the major league baseball season. And so this is where guys get on stretch runs, get hot. Yeah. 
and and get, look that get to be the team they talked about like that Philly happens was. that happens in the nfl like once every like 10 years right say, where, yeah. where you have that giants team that gets on the hot hand and and makes the run and wins the super bowl right it it happens honestly on average less than that but based off of the last 20 to 30 years of evidence that's and that's why football is great because more often than not the more talented team prevails because the luck might bounce your way for one game, but ultimately, if you're not the most talented team, you're not going to be one of the final four. And so often in the NFL, the last four teams remaining are the four best teams that we see in the NFL, or at least four out of the five. And I remember us going through that last year when we had Eagles, Niners, Chiefs, Bengals. It felt like that was kind of the right thing. I'm not counting out the Bengals. I will say, Vito, I have to vehemently disagree with you on, on the idea that the, the Texans have been unbelievable we are still two weeks removed from them Hater. losing to the to the worst Haters. team in the NFL. Okay, Doesn't I really love the bet. I love the Texans. I was completely wrong about the Texans this week. I love them. They're an amazing story. There's no shot they win the Super Bowl this year. You never know. I, I just disagree. They're mathematically in it. They're hot. They They're can't. Well. So they talent. And that's the engineer in you. And that's because you, you make the same arguments that my roommate does. And that's why I love you because he makes the same arguments all the time. He's like, well, it can happen. You never yeah. know. And I think of it way more in like the, like they just, it's not going to happen. And if it does happen, I'll be, I'll be happy to see the Leicester city version of the, you know, of the, of the NFL. Yes. If the, if the Texans go on to it, Leicester, whatever, I don't, you know what I mean. Everyone knew. Leicester everyone here City. knows what I mean. Leicester City, Americans. right? Everyone, everyone here would agree with me. Like the likelihood is extremely low, but there is a chance, and that's why Vito's amazing because he's he's the optimist of our group. But I thought that was a perfect question to to, to ask you guys because I was going through it earlier and I was just like, I just don't see it for outside of those five, really. And even still within those fives, I can make arguments against all of them. And I could make an argument for the Buffalo bills. If they win tonight against the Broncos or they could lose tonight. And then the bills may not even make the playoffs. So, and the Broncos are mathematically still in, so they could too. They sure are How about it. <laughs> we'll revisit this conversation, say like week 14. Maybe, maybe we People like are put be a, listening to this in the morning and be like, damn, Vito's a fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> we'll, we'll, We'll put together. Well, maybe I'll make a calendar reminder for us to rehab this conversation in like week 13, week 14, when maybe it's a little clear. But I thought it was good to have for now. All right, let's take a quick break. Come back. We're going to rip through the games from Sunday. Some games worth talking about, some not so much. We'll hit the big games. We'll recap it all, and we'll get you guys on the way to the rest of your week. All right, week 10 in the NFL. Uh, Again, there's games to talk about and games not to talk about. We will breeze through the games that are not worth talking about because uh, some of these finishes were amazing and some things we can pull a little fun tidbits from and some things we can just flat out skip over. So we'll start with Thursday night football. Thursday night football, we can just flat out skip over. Uh, shout out to the Bears for improving their draft stock, uh, putting a competitive product relatively so onto the field uh, and also making sure that they get especially after what happened with the Cardinals and the Patriots and everything else this weekend, making sure that the Panthers still are holding on to the, the, the pole position when it comes to the number one overall draft pick, which the bears own. So they took care of business, but fuck the Panthers for covering that game was so bad. Everything was bad, bad the word, across baby. the board. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was ugly. Bryce young. Yikes. Uh, and that leads us to Sunday morning, which I, 
we're going to pause slightly. All right. This is a yield. This isn't a full blown stop sign, but it's not pass go and go over it. This is a yield sign for this game. Um, only because the Patriots are now two and eight, which is in our lifetimes, the worst we've ever seen the Patriots. Right. I mean, I guess you could make the argument during like Bill, Bel- uh, Bill Parcells was there. He leaves. Pete Carroll comes in. But I'm pretty sure Pete Carroll won five games his two seasons oh, yeah. each year. Is they weren't terrible. No, they were not this bad. So in our lifetime, this is the worst iteration of the Patriots ever, which is pretty astonishing if you're a Patriots fan. Like, shouts to you. You guys have led an unbelievable life. I'm going to ask you guys the same thing I did last week. Are we sure Belichick's not getting fired? Yeah, it would have happened already. It would have come out today that he would have been fired. <laughs> I don't it know because they're going into happened. a bye week. It's, they're going into a bye the, week, though. What's the point then? <clears throat> what's the, I, I ask again? What the point is of what the advantage is of firing him when you know that he's got the coaching pedigree? You know that these guys, whether you're going to get rid of him or not at the end of the year, is inconsequential to the fact that he can still coach these guys up to the best of their ability. And Kraft knows but that's that that's not true, though. Scott, the, the coaching in this game was horrendous. They benched Mac Jones to bring in a backup with a two-minute drill because with the last terrible. session. No question, no question. But the thing with Belichick is he's also the GM. So he also puts you in the position where you don't have a decent starting quarterback on this roster. And, and, and you're, the decision alone, like, say what you will about Mac Jones, like, at least Zach Wilson, as terrible as he was on Sunday Night Football, gave them a chance with the Hail Mary on the last play of the game, and it was damn near caught, Right. Mac Jones to me and Zach Wilson are in that same category of bad. At least keep the guy who's warmed up and playing, bringing up a backup in the last two minutes of the game, completely cold to go out there on a game winning drive is coaching malpractice at its finest. And that's coupling on top of what he did last year, which was horrendous. And the whole reports from Wickersham and everyone else coming out of Boston is that the whole reason Belichick hasn't like, tried to do something different is that he doesn't want to re-coach the coaches. He doesn't want to re-coach the coaches in the way that he does it. So he's just doing this lazy thing that you see in corporate America all the time, which is like, ah, just bring back this guy I used to work with years ago. He at least knows how I run things here. That is absolute coaching malpractice. So then why would you at this point, why would you at this point fire, let him go, especially after the pedigree, let him go. Let the head coach and the GM at the same time go because they're the same person in this case. Try to win more games this year with guys that are are not the head coach's own. And just like play this year out with Bill Belichick. Let the story happen. The city knows that the fan base knows that this team is not good. Let him walk out into the sunset no matter how bad the record is. Get your head coach. Get your new GM. Get their guys in there with a really good draft pick at the top of the first round and let them decide what to do with it. That's all I'm saying. I have a retort to that, but I want Vito to chime in here. So I I just think that, number one, like, I agree, Scotty, that I wish that's what will happen. Like, I I want Bill Belichick to have it, to, like, resign with dignity and everything like that. You just, you got to win some of these games or else you're getting to the point where you might as well um, not let him go. But, like, I'm more wondering is, I think Jeff, you said this last week where it was like, or do you get rid of them and just kind of plummet until you get a better draft stock? And like 
Kraus would be more into that than Belichick would be. You could do that with him, though. That's no, my no, point. But my point is, I don't think he would want to do that. He wouldn't be had any interest in doing that. You couldn't talk about that. And he's a GM, so that's tough. Listen, I think he's still going to have a good defense. I think they'll win a few more games here the rest of the year. But I do think that Belichick's seat. I, I was expecting them to to win that, like, or to at least keep that game. Um, be a little more competitive, we could say. That game sucked. So uh, the travel didn't work for them at all. They scored six fucking points. Their offense is trash. Them versus the Jets shouldn't be aired on TV if they play again this year. I think they do. Yeah, um, they have one more game. We should. Oh, no one should go to that game, right? Like that's that's embarrassing. You should just play rugby instead with your defenses. It would be way more. Or lacrosse. I mean, you know. Yeah. He's, yeah, you're right. Belichick's a big lacrosse guy. He probably uh, actually could fill the team. I mean, look. Scotty, like, I think because we lived through the Belichick dominance, we revere him as football guys as this, like, larger-than-life figure, which he's earned. He is that good. But I keep thinking about it from the perspective of, like, if I'm a 22-year-old, right, who in, in 2012, when they were beating the – when they lost to the Giants, right, in the start of the second half, these guys were 10 years old, nine years old. They don't have the reverence for Belichick that we do. They're also the best athletes in the world and the best in the world at what they do. They don't have the patience that we as fans do, especially since none of us are fans of the Patriots. They don't carry the same patience that we do. Imagine myself as a young, impatient, 22-year-old rookie talented kid you look at like the demario douglases or the ramondre stevenson these guys who are really good players they don't have the patience for belichick i don't think they look at belichick the same way we do i think they look across the nfl and they look at andy Reid and they look at nick sirianni and they look at john harbaugh and these guys who have traditionally been you know especially with Reid and harbaugh like longtime successes in the nfl who are players coaches but no one to crack down when it's needed versus the patriot way great i i personally believe a large percentage of the patriot way was because of tom brady and everything about the patriots post tom brady has proven that because they have gone consistently downhill since so to your question of what what value does it add right what is the value of letting go of, of belichick midseason I agree with you. I don't think it's the most likely outcome, like I said last week, that he gets fired midseason. But what I will say is that if you're Robert Kraft and you're in your mid-80s and you want to see a team that can go out there and win, what you are likely to do in those types of scenarios is say, let's get out of this now and start the start the process of finding our next head coach so we can be the first ones to get a leg up on that. And that doesn't always work. Right. That doesn't always work. But you have this video of of Belichick shirtless coming out of some girls a place that, that from over dope, the summer. That was awesome. I mean, flex, him. flex. Yeah. hundred percent flex on them. King. I'm with you. Summer to your point. Like he didn't know it was getting released. But this is just I feel like it's just untenable at this point. And at this no matter what Belichick, I think, is done at the end of the year. But I also think there's nothing wrong with them letting go with him midseason. And if I was a player on that team and you have a young player like Jared Mayo or a young coach like Jared Mayo who has some fire to him, maybe you win one more game. You're going to be in the top five. You're going to be in that pool of teams right there at the top to potentially go and get somebody. 
They have the draft capital if they want to move up to get somebody at one. NFL players are going to go out there every single week and try to win football games. And whether whether it's a Bill Belichick or another coach, they're going to end up with the same amount of wins more, more or less at the end of the season. So exactly. I, I, so, so that's an indictment on the team then to say that you have young players that are looking the other direction because they don't want to listen to the old uh, head coach. Or, and who runs the looking, team uh, who elsewhere runs, who uh, runs around the, the team? League. Whose fault is that? Exactly. Belichick's. Yeah. I mean, okay. I no, I think you're, yeah, I think you're both putting it on him and making this like excuse and saying all that at once. I'm just, I'm with Scott. Listen, I think you're saying he's going to get fired this year. I think that's an overreaction. Like, yeah, they're bad. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back next year. I, I like, I get that he might be in the craft thing. I'm just saying, don't. I wouldn't put all your eggs in the fact that it's going to happen. I would agree. I would, I would put it at like plus one ten. He comes back, basically meaning, yeah, it yeah, could. It's agree. a coin flip. It's like a yeah. coin flip. But I, I also, I'm fired. Yeah. I also just feel like with what's come out and the amount of information that's leaked, historically speaking, with sports media stuff, when that kind of stuff gets leaked, it usually leads to the coach getting fired more often than not. So that's my two cents on it. Either way, they're a garbage team. Shout out to Shane Steichen because he's coaching his dick off with the Indianapolis Colts. Gardner Minshew, back-to-back wins. Uh, this Colts team is 5-5 five and five and is very much – an ugly five and five, but they are very much in the playoff consideration. I mean, they have, yeah. as of right now, they're what a half game behind the the Bengals. <laughs> so, uh, and, and depending what happens tonight, they could be tied with the bills. So we'll see. Uh, all right, let's get to the good games on Sunday. We'll start off with yet another comeback victory for one CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans. Uh, not a comeback, but a, a, a game winning drive. Uh, despite the Bengals doing everything in their power. And look, if it's not for a Tyler a Tyler Boyd drop touchdown pass, I mean, Joe Burrow put that thing exactly where it needed to be. We're probably singing a very different tune right now, but Tyler Boyd couldn't hold on to it. And the Texans find a way to go out and win this game. Uh, I mean, he was the hero on the 60-yard play that got them down to the red zone. And then he dropped the the easy touchdown pass from Burrow coming on the other side. Um, This was a fascinating game because the Bengals defense had been looking really good. And up until this game, with the exception of like one or two games earlier on in the season, the Bengals defense looked to be one of the top tier defenses in the NFL. It doesn't look like that right now. And mouth after what the Texans did to them. And it's unbelievable to me that how many points did the Texans score against Carolina? 12 was it? 13, yeah. 13 was like was 15, 15, 13. 15, yeah. 13 was the final. And yet they just went up against one of the best defenses in the NFL and hung 30 on them uh, with Stroud throwing for 350 plus once again. Um, it, it's The story continues for what this Texans team is doing. It's unbelievable. I take more away from the Bengals' loss in this game than I do from the Texans' win, which is not to discredit the win, Nah, v- no, Vito's no. out here throwing Classic. his ass. It's no, always it's... about the Bengals with you. Yeah, it doesn't matter what's going because, on. It's the Bengals. Because one, because one is a contender. One is a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback, right? The Texans team and the story is incredible. The story is incredible. Believe in something, man. I'm not. I, 
it's unbelievable. I believe in CJ Stroud. He's going to be a, a long-term NFL quarterback for the next 15 years and put up unbelievable numbers. Like could on numbers alone could end up a hall of famer. He is that good. Like I'm all in on this Texans team. Nothing of this is a criticism of the Texans. I'm saying the tech, the Bengals are a team that we look at as this is a team that should be in consideration for one of the best teams in the AFC that should be a playoff contender. And they came up short in this game because the Texans were that good. Not because the Bengals were playing terribly, but because the Texans were playing really, really good. And that was surprising to me. My only pushback. Yeah. My only pushback is the fact that it was 20 to seven in the third quarter and the Texans were dominating that game. And on both sides of the ball, the Bengals looked ineffective and, and not the same way that they had the previous two weeks against really good defenses. So that's my only pushback. The, the fact that like Joe Burrow was minutes. Was, yeah, the was, fact that was Joe Cincinnati, Burrow was able to, to conduct the comeback and the fact that the defense was able to step up uh, in big moments and get that pick six uh, in particular um, and then give the ball back to CJ Stroud to do his magic. But the fact that those happened in the last 17 minutes for the Bengals, I would take away as positives. I would take away from this game that the Texans are actually a really freaking good football team. And can yeah. play with the big boys, can play with the the Cincinnati Bengals defense. C.J. Stroud throwing f- 350 yards, the first rookie to throw for 350 yards against uh, or more against Cousin Lou's defense uh, in, in his NFL career. Um, I think that that's what you take away from the game. That they're able to run the ball better, that their defense plays better, that it doesn't matter whether Nico Collins is on the field. C.J. Stroud's going to find the the Noah Browns uh, the, the, um, uh, oh God, who's the guy who played in LA, uh, Robert Woods is of the world, um, uh, that the defense can't overcome stupid penalties for the, in the end zone in particular, it was Perryman who had like three penalties on the same drive, two of them in the end zone, um, and, and overcome that and still come out on top in this game. That's what I take away. The Texans are a really good football team and beat a really good Cincinnati Bengals football team. And I guess the way I'll verbalize this, the Texans showed it. We know what the we know the Bengals are contenders. To your point, Jeff, we know that. Like the last couple of weeks, Burrow's shown us he's back. This team's going to be there. They're good. But what the Texans showed is that to, to Scotty's point, they can beat the big dogs. And every team has one come up story when they start belonging. And it seems like this year the Texans aren't wasting any time. Now this could all go horribly wrong at the end of the season. This could continue, whatever it is. But right now, while we're in it. I, I think the team that you get more excited about when you're watching and the team that you're realizing more about is the Texans because they're unknown names. They're names that we keep like, like at receiver at running at the line. I mean, they brought in some vets on the line. Don't get me wrong on the defensive side. Like they are, they're making names all over the field and they have a young team. So that's what happens. But I think that's why we're learning more about them. And I think with Burrow on the Bengals, we know they're contenders until, like he said, his window's not closed till he retires. And it's true. It's fucking crazy to see that guy play. Like, Scotty, I don't what'd you say they were down? It was twenty to seven at one point in the third quarter. Yeah. And in and, and Joe Burr, like I didn't have any doubt that this was gonna be a I had the over on this game and I had no doubt the over was gonna hit. I was like, yeah, I don't I did even too. care what's gonna happen. Like I knew at the end of the game both these guys were gonna sling it. Um I, I hate you know what I hated about this game? The only thing I hated is I got a text from my boy Luke being like, look at these two Ohio State quarterbacks. I'm like, shut up. Joe Burrow is not yours. LSU quarterback. Yeah, yeah. honestly. <laughs> no, I, and I'm with you on that. So so 
part of my argument here and a part of what I'm trying to like set up with like describing this game is that like it's and I agree with you. You can't rule out the Bengals as long as Joe Burrow is the quarterback there 100%. But this Texans team, they have back-to-back incredible wins. One against the Falcons or uh was it the Fal- yeah, the Falcons where you're like, how the hell did they pull that off? And then this one where it's Tampa, like they, Tampa Bay. Or what was Tampa? Okay, sorry. Um, and then one where it looked like they were the better team than Cincinnati. And so in a three-week stretch, they go from losing to Carolina to winning in miraculous fashion against Tampa Bay to then looking like the better team against a team that we all think could have Super Bowl, or at least has Super Bowl aspirations, but could be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. That to me screams, I don't know what the fuck to do with them because <laughs> you're hitting, you're hitting each of the check marks. You're, you're hitting the, like you lost to the worst team in the NFL. You played an unbelievable finish to a game against a very mediocre team and found a way to win, but it took to the last second of the game to beat Tampa Bay. And then in this game, you looked like a better team than arguably the hottest team in the NFL coming into the season. Which so the reason I led with the Bengals is because I do view the Bengals as a potential Super Bowl team, and if they're playing down to the level of of this Texans team, which is a I don't know what the fuck to make of this team type of quality, then I don't know what to make of the Bengals. And all credit in the world belong des- is deservedly given to the Houston Texans for the way they played in this game because they outclassed the Bengals through three quarters, and then. When they needed it most, after the Bengals dominated the lat the fourth quarter, despite two interceptions by Joe Burrow, the Bengals defense still showed up in the fourth quarter to get the ball back in their hands with an interception of their own and a turnover on downs to get the ball back to go down to potentially win the football game. The Texans still found a way to win that game, which is fucking incredible, and that's why we love the NFL. My question is more about the Bengals in that, like. They're five and four. They won four in a row. This slow start in the past didn't kill them because they went on like an 11 game winning streak and then it was fine at the end, right? It doesn't seem like that's going to happen now. And Cincinnati's defense was exposed by a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach who are, albeit playing unbelievable football, which just leads me to believe like the Texans, anything is possible. They're fucking awesome. I love that story. I'm going to be rooting for them all season long. The Bengals. I don't know what to make of them because as long as Joe Burrow is there, you, you expect them to be a threat to win the Super Bowl, but they have an extremely difficult finishing schedule moving forward, arguably the hardest in the NFL. And yet I still want to consider them to be a, a, a to be one of the teams we expect to, to be in the mix when it comes to the postseason because of Joe Burrow and because of what we know out of that defense, Lou Amaruno, which is why this game is so fascinating. Cause it's like, you can take the results from this and go, I really don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Do you think that I'll make a statement? How about you guys tell me if you agree or disagree? Okay. Okay. The Bengals can beat any team and lose to the most teams in the NFL rather than anybody else right now. I think the other team in this game is, is that's true about it might be. That's a good point. I think, I, I think, think I think besides that... the Bengals, like Bengals to your point, I, I think they could beat the chiefs. I think they could also lose to the Jets one weekend fucking around. Like, I don't know. I think a lot of teams could lose to They've the Jets. They've literally done that. That's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's right. and to me, it's like, would the Bengals lose to Carolina? 
I don't think so. But the Texans could and also beat the Chiefs or the Eagles in any given and week. I, I think, Jeff, two, the two things that uh, – that's a, that's a great question, Vito. The two things I would agree think? with you on in the answer there are that, like, the, the Bengals know how to win, right? The Texans are learning how to win. That's why they lose those games like that. The Bengals yeah. know how to win already. Um, yeah. And so for that reason, I think, to Vito's point, I think you're right. I think they could beat anybody. But from what I've seen this year, they could also lose to anybody, right? And that's part of the parody argument that we've been talking about all season long. Yeah. Um, is that it's not just going to be like, oh, they turned it on, 11-game win streak for Burrow and the boys. No, that's not the case. You're playing better competition. The Texans are a better 5-4 and four team or 4-4 four and four team going into this game than, um, than they had then the Bengals had played in any of the previous years that they went on those stretches. Agreed. And, and look, this is the last thing I'll say about this game. Cause we, we got to move on to the next one, but the burrow thing is interesting, right? Because like we, we all agree, like if burrows, the quarterback of the Bengals, they're going to be in every game that they play in. Right. Because that's what burrow does. And he proved it again in this game in the fourth quarter alone, when they needed him to show up most, he had two really bad interceptions. And Ultimately, they still had a chance to win this game, which makes it even harder to try to figure out who is actually like what Cincinnati is this year, because this is a game that on paper Cincinnati should go in and win this game by a touchdown. But instead, they were fighting all day. And this is why I love Joe Burrow. And this is the self-awareness that not a lot of quarterbacks would have. Right. Your Daniel Jones or your Kirk Kirk Cousins is the perfect example of this quarterback. And you can throw Dak into this mix too. They were down two scores. They needed two scores to get back in this game. So what did Burrow do? He got aggressive. So I can spin those interceptions as they were bad interceptions by Joe Burrow, but I can also spin them around and say, he also understood that if they didn't score touchdowns, they were out of this game. So he had to be more aggressive with his throws. It makes it really hard to try to diagnose what happened, especially not being in the locker room and not being in those meetings and knowing exactly where the intended pass was supposed to go and what happened and what broke down. All I know is that he threw two interceptions trying to get his team back into the game. And yet because of a great play on defense, if Tyler Boyd holds on to that football, the, the Bengals probably walk away winning this game with a one, at least a one point victory. And yet it didn't happen. And all credit goes to the Texans. Uh, all right, next up, Viking Saints. Jameis Winston, clear headline in this game. Nothing else matters. Josh who? Jameis Winston entered the ball game. No, it's Josh Dobbs. Josh Dobbs is fucking unbelievable. The story continues. The Winston story arc is touchdowns. unbelievable. We, we had the, they, okay. had the same, they had the same amount of total <laughs> touchdowns. Josh Dobbs ran one in on an unbelievable scramble. <sighs> Um, yeah, but no, this, the story of this game was was Josh Dobbs uh, finding yet another way to do it. Uh, I don't know if maybe he's still on that backyard football shit. I don't know how much he was able to learn in a week. Um, but he looked so good in that first half. I mean, 24 to 3 at halftime. I did not think that this was going to be a game. By the way, the Saints scored with like 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And I had the under in this game. And it was one point You're behind so the line and i'm just like it's right there and i'm like there's no there's gonna be more points scored there's no way this holds on there's no way this holds on and somehow 
it held on. Now, the other parts of my parlay fell apart. But ah. The one thing that I was con- like absolutely 100% confident in was not going to last was the fact that the over in this game, because what did it finish? It was a th- Yeah, I had it at a, a 47 and a half or something. And I think it got exactly 247. And so it just, it are you never back left. on the Saints betting? <laughs> no, never on the Saints again. I don't care who they say. I'm going to write it down in Sharpie. I'm never betting on the fucking Saints again. I fucking hate the Saints. But with Jameis, I'm I'm kind of like the kombucha girl. Like, ooh, maybe? Nah. What? I might I might talk myself into the Saints with Jameis Winston. Um, we did get a classic Jameis game. The touchdown pass from Jameis. Both touchdown passes. Yeah. The touchdown to the back corner, cold, coming in. The Olave one, yeah. The, the Olave touchdown so was good. fucking unreal. All around, what a catch. it was a great what catch, a catch too, by yeah. Olave. And then the yeah. second touchdown where he throws it, it only goes about 15 yards downfield, like in terms of like the actual gridiron. But then to do it from the, it was like a 50 yard pass from the other side of the field. <laughs> only Jameis Winston can make that throw, and of course, only Jameis Winston can can it result into a touchdown pass. It was great to see him back out there. Fuck Derek Carr. I hope we never watch him play another game in the NFL. Well, at least I, I don't want to say that. I never want to see him start another game this season. Uh, nice I hope guy. He goes back to the Raiders. Honestly, yeah. Go be a backup. Go mentor uh, Aiden O'Connell. Yeah. Uh, maybe 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 he can. He's made enough money. He can buy that number off of Aiden O'Connell. Aiden O'Connell looks weird in number four anyway. Um, but. I just want to see Jameis play football. That's all I care about. Fuck Derek Carr. I'm so tired of that shit. Uh, it was fun seeing Jameis in there. And objectively speaking, the <laughs> offense looked significantly better with Jameis. Yes. Little spark. More yeah. Exciting. Little juice. Yeah. yeah. More exciting. The second, look, the second interception, it's the end of the game. You got to go down and yeah. make a play. Yeah. You're a little more aggressive. But we know with Jameis, that's, it's going to be that way more often than not. So I'm trying to make excuses for our boy, but it's, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> But no, the story is Josh Dobbs, another unbelievable win. They uh they struggled in the second half. Uh, the, the third quarter, the second quarter, first half for the Vikings was great. Uh, it seemed like the Saints did a good job of making some adjustments and kind of slowed Josh Dobbs down a little bit. But overall, considering you just traded for this dude at the deadline a week and a half ago, you're pretty fucking stoked out of what you've seen out of uh, Josh Dobbs so far. If you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, and look. That seven spot in the in the postseason for the NFC is completely up for grabs. And now the Vikings at six and four have found themselves in the driver's seat for it. They're two games behind Detroit. They have at least one more game against Detroit head to head. And uh, Minnesota has a very easy remaining strength of schedule. The Vikings are going to fuck around as long as this Josh Dobbs magic hangs around, which I don't mm-hmm. know how much longer it will. But for and, now... But- it's there. As long as it does, it's there. And guess who is coming back? Justin Jefferson. That's right. JJ is coming back, and they've gotten TJ Hawkinson in the mix, which is one thing that we said through the first third of the season that we're like, where is he? Why aren't they utilizing him? They traded all of that capital to get him. He was the the horse down the stretch and at the and at the end of the year last year, and even in that playoff game where he came up, what, two yards short of a first down that would have kept them in the game. Um, and they hadn't utilized him all year. Now he's back. He's got like 11 catches, 15 targets, 134 yards. Now, of course, that's going to drop a little bit when J.J. gets back. But, dude, that guy is a hawk. <laughs> like, 
an right. absolute ball hawk. Arguably the best wide receiver in football. I mean, yeah. Unbelievable, just- that dude. And, and like, just like the way that he, and hopefully he's healthy because he got banged up pretty good in that game. Uh, came out a couple of times with injury. Use him. Josh Jobs is is a smart dude. Um, he's util- utilizing the tight end. That ground game is a little bit in trouble because Cam Akers out now uh, with the torn Achilles. Madison came out with it. He was in concussion protocol, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, I I love what Josh Jobs is doing in the passing game, and you get a, a weapon back in Justin Jefferson. Hopefully next week we'll see. He was worth the sixth and seventh round picks. That's that's about what you, like there is no way he's already proved his worth, right? That's what Josh Jobs was traded for. That's all the Vikings gave up. Um, I think one of those was a pick swap too. Yeah, like well, the crazy thing is, I had a bunch of friends who were out there in Arizona. I'm in a group chat with them, and they were like, "Damn, man, the Cardinals might have had their guy." It was like, "Dude, the Browns might have had their guy." Like, uh, yeah, right. Preseason, like the fact that Josh Jobs <laughs> has been on three teams already and has looked Titans good for might every have single one of them. <laughs> I think he has a win for each of them. If you count preseason for Cleveland, but like it's, it's pretty wild to see this dude. Uh, I'm just really impressed. Here's to him keeping it going. Let's get some Josh yeah, Dobbs in the, in the playoffs, man. I'm here for that story for sure. Yeah, no question. Um, super fun. I mean, the Josh Dobbs thing was awesome. The touchdown run was unbelievable. Uh, it, it's honestly, it's just, it's cool to see a story like this. That's kind of taking over. And I, I think I said this last week, um, I'd have to dig into the tapes, but it it does remind me a lot of Fitz Magic. It's it's an incredibly like super intelligent dude who like is incredibly likable. Just plays backyard football. It feels like half the time finds ways. An astronaut. To, yeah, there you go. Right. It's um, of a nickname. <laughs> it is a great nickname. Um, and he's he's handling it all in stride, which is what I like. It's like he's embracing it to an extent. You know, he the the dude who uh, does the Creed song on on TikTok or whatever. He stitched that together and sent it into social media, and and people really really enjoyed it. He's he's handling it the right way, and if nothing else, Josh Jobs has created a a bankroll for his future, where he will be asked to be a backup quarterback for a very very long time moving forward. But it does remind me of the Fitz Magic streak when he was in Tampa Bay. Uh, remember, they won a bunch of games, games that they were not expected to win. They put themselves right into contention for the postseason, ultimately played themselves out of it, which, which, which sucks. And I hope that doesn't happen with Josh Dobbs because the story is really, really fun. They have a favorable story for the rest of the way. They're getting Justin Jefferson back. He loves CJ Hawkinson. God, as you were saying, Scott, like God bless him and his back dude. Cause some of the hits he took in that game were unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but he's finding ways to get it done. It seems like they've actually also benched Alexander Madison, which hopefully, which like I loved Alexander Madison. Like I think a lot of fantasy people always had like a, a soft spot for Alexander Madison. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it's the, the, there's a short, short leash here for them. So um, Josh Dobbs continuing to find ways to do it and six and four. I mean, after starting off one and four to rattle off five straight wins, is pretty fucking impressive, man. It's pretty fucking impressive. Oh, Vito, you're on mute, bud. You got me. Fuck. Um, not the so only one. Gonna, Let's go. Yeah, you, that's why you were so pumped. Uh, I was so, not gonna lie. Uh, it's all good. So, um, they have the longest win streak in the NFC, I think, in the longest in the NFL now that Jackson they do. Is, so, yeah, uh, impressive. Yeah, shout out to them. Uh, all right, up next, Steelers 23, Packers 19. 
The Steelers are six and three. I don't. They have a negative point differential. I believe they're negative twenty six right now when it comes to their point differential. Uh, they have been outgained in every single one of their wins, which is the first time since I believe nineteen forty yes. that that has happened. Um, I don't know what to say. I just this is if there was this is the most most Mike Tomlin. Steelers-esque season of all time. There are three games above 500. They're probably going to get to nine wins again. They're probably going to make the postseason and get bodied by whoever they play in the first round. And yet, they could be the seventh seed and the, the, the Baltimore Ravens could be the two seed. And I still might pick the Steelers to win the football game because that's just what happens in the AFC North and the Steelers are treating every single game. Like it's an AFC North game where it's ugly and nasty and weird things happen. Um, The one glimmer of hope you have in this game is that Jalen Warren, Najee Harris, both looked good. Um, But I texted you guys this and it's, it's wild. And I remember when we were doing our, our draft process, our our pre-draft show, the year Jalen Warren was coming out and going through running backs and being like, I love this kid. I really hope he goes to a team where he's going to get carries. And then he went to Pittsburgh and he basically rode the bench his entire first year. And last year he got a little bit more. And now this year they're finally using him because that kid at Oklahoma state was a fucking baller. He's quick. He's elusive. He runs hard. I love watching him. He's a perfect Steelers guy. And I actually think as a complimentary backfield, they work really, really well together because Najee has really, really good vision. He's not the explosive you know, back that you see out of Jalen Warren or some of these other guys. But, you know, the touchdown run from Najee in this game was a great example where he sees the back cut, plants his foot, jump step, boom, jump cuts, finds his way into the end zone, easy walk and touchdown. That's the stuff Najee can do a really, really good job of. Uh, and Jalen Warren can kind of help balance it out. So they have a good two-headed monster at running back. They have good weapons. And if they had Ben Johnson, say, instead of Matt Canada as their offensive coordinator – this offense would probably look a lot different, um, but they just find ways to win games. So shout out to the Steelers. I don't know how long it's feasible to expect this to last, but they're six and three, which is unbelievable. That's what I said to Vito when we were on break. I was looking at I was looking at schedules and I I saw Vito and I was like, dude, how the hell are the Steelers six and three? But <laughs> makes no they put sense. it together. Yeah, make yeah make that make sense. I can't. But, you know, winning games is winning games, and that's what Tomlin has done his entire career. So, credit to I, Yeah, I mean, to me, this is just – this is proof that the football gods are real. No one appeases the football gods more than Mike Tomlin, the way he coaches and the way he runs his offense for the last decade and a half. And it feels like, okay, you're not that good. Football gods are going to reward you with a bunch of these, to your point, close. All the Viking games last year that were close and they squeaked out. That's Steelers now. I think they're just going to get blown out every once in a while. And that's where they're at. I feel like the football gods are paying the Steelers for being good football people. And these paisans <laughs> like are, are getting rewarded. Yeah. And if you look at the remaining schedule, they have Cleveland, Cincinnati, and then they have Arizona and New England, which you would expect both of those to probably be wins. Obviously, with Kyler coming back, it's hard to predict what Arizona is going to look like. Uh, they have Indy. And then the rest of it is Cincinnati, Seattle, Baltimore. They need three more wins to stay above 500 unless they can somehow find a way to sneak a tie in there for you, Vito. Um, 
But the three wins that jump out Don't on paper, right? The three wins that jump out on paper are Cardinals, Patriots, Colts. I think the Patriots is a win. I think the Colts is probably a win, but who's to say? Because that Colts team's been really hard to figure out. And even if they go one and two during those three games, they'll still probably beat Cincinnati one of two times. They'll still probably beat Cleveland or Seattle or Baltimore one other time and find a way to, to, to make themselves one of those teams. And if they do, that is, that is the Mike Tomlin way. That is what they do. Uh, Green Bay, they are now, uh, let's see what, three and six. Do I have that right? Yeah. Three and six. They are uh, probably in tank mode the rest of the season, but I will say, some dimes out of Jordan uh, Jordan Love in this game. This looked like Jordan Love in the first two weeks, where it was like a whole lot of bad, but then on third down and long, he hits the deep ball to uh, uh, I forget who the guy was that caught it. Uh, and then you know he throws that one into the corner uh, to I think it was Romeo Dobbs or, or Christian Watson, but one that was an absolute perfect throw. Um, so yeah, there's ups and downs. Christian Watson had a couple of bad drops in this game. It's not all on Jordan Love. Uh, but Aaron Jones can't be the the only productive option on an offense and expect to win in the NFL, and that's kind of where the Packers are at. Titans-Bucks. This is a quick one, I think, for us. Will Levis looked like a rookie, right? This looked like he struggled a little bit. He did not have time. The Bucks defensive line was ferocious and came after them. Uh, where we stand now in the NFC South is a whole bunch of who the fuck knows. The Saints are in first place at 5-5. Five and five. The Bucks half game behind them at four and five. The Falcons are now at four and six after they lost to the Cardinals. We'll talk about that game in a second. The NFC South sucks. The AFC South is amazing. The tech, the Titans might end up being the worst team in the AFC South, which coming into the season, I don't think any of us would have ever put any money on that. But if you did, you probably made a good chunk because right now the Texans at five and four and the Colts at five and five are ahead of the three and six Titans. Um, But look, Will Levis is a rookie, right? He's not going to look amazing every single game. This was an ugly football game. They played a football game. It happened. And, you know, this is one of those perfect examples of, of like how much money would you pay to watch this game in the middle of March when we're dying for football, right? You pay a lot for it, but in the middle of the NFL season, you're kind of like, yeah, no, it happened. I'm cool with not having paid attention too much. The best thing about this game was that it was a lock for me, and it happened. That's about it. Hey, That's man, the it. Bucks can get frisky when Baker's moving the ball, and that yeah. defense is better than people think. And I, I don't know. I mean, they're going on the road to, to San Francisco next week. Um, that's going to be a tougher game, I think, than most people think. Um especially if Baker's able to move the ball. We'll see what version of the Niners defense we get uh, after we saw a good one this week, but who knows? And the Titans stink on the road. They they cannot win on the road. They are horrible. 0-5, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, – that that is Three and one and at parcel. home. Yeah, it's part and parcel the of the in, entire problem of that team. So uh, figure out a way to win on the road. Um, otherwise, you're, you're going to be at the, the bottom of the AFC South. Uh, where you live right now. Yeah, I mean, if you look, if you're a Titans fan, you at least feel good that you have a rookie quarterback that you like, you know, or at least you think you like. Um, It's very easy for a lot of us to fall into the trap of like, ah, he looked good in his first couple starts. And then it's like, all right, 
that might be the first thing you think of come into the season when we're like, oh, yeah, remember those two games and everyone was talking about Will Levis and how good he looked, even though they went one and one in those games. It's like, all right, but what did he do the rest of the way? Right. He made the good first impression. And this is how long a good first impression can last you in the NFL, especially on a national uh, national stage, the way Will Levis did on Thursday night. Um, but we'll see. We'll see moving forward. Right now, the Bucks, they feel like they're the best team in the in the NFC South. But honestly, a week can go by and that can completely change. Um, and Among Vito, three of them. Vito the top anyway. I will continue every single time the Bucks win. I will make sure Vito gets his flowers because he was all over the Bucks this year being a competitive football team when I certainly was not. All right, Scotty, your boys, 34-3 yeah. over Jacksonville. In Jacksonville, they come back. The streak is over. 17 consecutive games for Christian McCaffrey. Boy, they tried so hard on that last drive. <laughs> they sure did. Four straight plays. They tried to give it to him around the goal line. Even went for it on fourth down on fourth when they were down. up 31 <laughs> points, uh, which says yeah. quite a bit. Uh, I guarantee you he did not earn any bo- uh, brownie points around the league on that one. Kyle Shanahan did not. But uh, how you, you have well, to feel all- great, man, right? You have to feel good, six and three. Big, big win after the bye, and uh, how do we feel moving forward? Yeah, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic, I think is how I would describe it. Again, this is a game we went into this week thinking it would be probably one of the best games of the week, certainly the most competitive against two really good teams, the hottest team in Jacksonville, having won five in a row, coming off a bye, playing at home against San Francisco, who has looked like just – a shell of themselves over the past three games going into the bye and then having to go on the road. Um, and I asked the critical question was what version of the 49ers are we going to get? And it was the one that we saw through the first five games of the year where they were undefeated, where uh, on both sides of the ball, they looked absolutely elite. I, I Debo getting back in that offense made such a huge difference. Um, you could tell it from the jump. Brock looked better with his decision-making uh, IU gets involved. Kittle has a big game again. Um, the offense, uh, I, I think for now looks good. Uh, we'll see if they can continue to crunch and, and, and look like they, the version of themselves they did before. And the same thing on the defensive side of the ball, they get physical. All of a sudden they look good. They're beating guys at the line, Bosa, Hargrave, uh, Eric Armstead. I think each of them had a sack. I know Bosa had a sack and a half, uh, but they had five total. Though. Cool. Chase Young in, on, on the opposite side of the ball was a difference maker. Uh, yeah. On the opposite side of the line, rather, uh, was a difference maker. So that line is is looks again on paper. I need to see it in more repetitions. But against a pretty decent offensive line um, in uh, in Jacksonville, they were able to get to a mobile uh, Trevor Lawrence five times uh, and bring him down and make him uncomfortable in the pocket to throw a couple of interceptions that he would were uncharacteristic of him. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I need to see more of it on both sides of the ball because that's the version of the 49ers we saw through five games, not the last three. We'll see what happens moving forward. In a tough stretch, We've again, we've got Seattle twice. we got to go to Philly. We've got the Ravens on Christmas Day, and that's four of the the last, what, eight games um, that, that are coming up. So uh, a tough stretch ahead to be sure. Uh, as as you're well aware of Jeff with your schedule, but uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. I, I'm cautiously optimistic though, like I said, as you should be, right? As you should be, right? You should feel great after you blow a team out 34 to three, especially a team that on, on the road. paper, on paper, time. yeah, 
on the road and on paper looks as good as the Jaguars, you know, did coming into this game. Some interesting stuff though here, right? You you talked about they looked like they did in the first few games of the season. That the version of that team is also the healthy version of that team, right? Right. So like Debo being back, super big. The most important piece is Trent Williams being back. I made my pick specifically because I thought Trent Williams wasn't playing in this game. If you had told him now, I can always play revisionist history or whatever. You want to fault me for the picks? I don't give a shit. I'm just telling you right now, if Trent, if I knew guaranteed Trent Williams was playing in that game, I would have picked San Francisco because he is that much of a difference maker. He does completely tilt his side of the field to an extreme degree going up against a guy in Josh, uh, Josh Allen, who is one of the best premier, just pure pass sure. rushers in the NFL. I come away from this game, like walking in on Sunday when, when I saw the report on Sunday morning and it was Trent Williams is active. Debo Samuels active full compliment across the board. I had a hunch that the defense was going to show out more because I just didn't believe that the Niners defense was going to continue to be that bad, just solely based off the talent. And obviously adding chase young, it was clear he was happy to be on the other side of Nick Bosa. And they looked unbelievable in that game, despite having a couple of backups in there for Jacksonville on the offensive line. I learned this, that from Shil Kapadia who worked at the uh, athletic for a long time. He works for the ringer now, really, really great football writer. Uh, As of, Sunday afternoon, so before the late afternoon games played, there had been 296 games played in the NFL to up till this point in the season. The Jaguars offense ranked 288th out of 296 when it came to EPA per play. They were historic, basically one of the single worst offensive performances across the NFL in that game. After that game, factoring it all in, the Jaguars dropped to 26th in the NFL in EPA per play. The Jaguars are a dysfunctional offense at this point who have home run hitters and a quarterback who can scramble and make big-time plays. But there is a lack of cohesion in this offense. And I'm sorry, Nick Calcaterra, our good friend. We love you. I'm telling you how it is. This offense is flawed. We came into this year thinking second year with Doug Peterson. You're getting Calvin Ridley, you know, second full season for Travis Etienne. We're going to get a healthy, full encompassing view of what this Jaguars offense can be. And they've continued to be mediocre. It's incredible when you look across the board, the amount of games that the Jaguars have basically needed their defense to carry their load, right? You look at week one, they outscored Indianapolis 31 to 21. Their defense held Kansas City to 17 points in that game that they should have won. They played outstanding defense, right? Didn't happen. Their defense gets worked by Houston in week three. They lose 37 to 17 because the offense didn't show up. They hold Atlanta to seven points. They only score 23 against Atlanta. They score 25 against Buffalo, but hold Buffalo to 20 points. They The offense finally shows up and supports them in Indianapolis. They show up against New Orleans, and then they disappear against Pittsburgh and San Francisco. And yes, they won that Pittsburgh game, but there's been a lack of cohesion at its core for what this offense has been. We saw Calvin Ridley make a big splash in the first three weeks of the season. 
he is an afterthought in this offense right now, and I'm not exactly sure why. I know that's been quite the scuttlebutt around Jacksonville. San Francisco, when fully healthy, the way they were in this game, I expect to be arguably the best team in the NFL. Brock Purdy or no Brock Purdy, right? Like just the talent alone on that team should propel them to be at that elite level. This was a super disappointing game for Jacksonville at home in a game against a top-tier team, an elite team that's fully healthy, coming off of a bye. Jacksonville should be further along offensively right now than they are. And I was talking myself into Jacksonville being like the 2017 Eagles, second year with Doug Peterson, second year with this young stud quarterback drafted at the top of the draft. You bring in the free agent like Alshon Jeffrey, like they did with Calvin Ridley. Like I was expecting it all to click and it hasn't clicked. And the biggest difference is that the offensive line play from Jacksonville has not been there. They've been trying to plug in place with a bunch of different backups. They haven't had their full starting set for most of the season. That's obviously a big part of it. San Francisco is an elite team. To me, this is going back to our conversation at the top of the pod, why I don't see Jacksonville in that top tier, why I can't envision Trevor Lawrence holding up the Lombardi Trophy this year, is because of this. There is a missing component to what their offense does. And although they have all the weapons and everything else, and they have a good coach, and we like Trevor Lawrence, their offense has been disappointing, not just this year, but consistently throughout the entire season. And it showed out in a big way against an elite defense, a really, really good team in San Francisco. And San Francisco bodied them, just proved to them why they are an elite team and Jacksonville is not. I think you're overreacting to one game. I got to say it. I think that you're saying, I mean, I oh, use the whole bot. I use the whole, I, I, I use know, the sample size. I mean, score 37 against Indy, you think is not showing up 30 against, against one the of the Saints worst defense? defense. No 31 against the saints who are one of the best Go 20 on the Steelers. I know they're not great, but they're still an amazing defense point is like, yes, they got bodied. Let's not overreact to one week. You say it all the time. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are still a really, really good team. They had a five game win streak. They had the longest win streak in the NFL before this game. They're going to get knocked. It's going to take another two, three weeks. They're going to beat the Texans and the Bengals. Maybe and we're going to be like, they're one of the best. I, I just feel like it's it. Yes. The same. I'm not saying they're not a good team put it together, but okay. You're saying their offense wasn't good. I'm, I'm saying, saying, I'm saying compared to an elite, I'm saying compared to an elite team like San Francisco, fully healthy. They're, they're not in the same class. They're a very, they're a very good team. They are not yeah, that, on the same level as a San Francisco. You said their offense was not good. I'm saying it is. That's all I, I'm putting. They're they're ranked 26th out of 32 teams in EPA per play, which is the fundamental metric of is your offense good or not. They're Winning ranked in the bot. They're ranked in the bottom fourth but. of the team. I mean, I mean, look, like I, I'm saying they're not. I'm not saying they're a bad football team. I'm saying they're a good football team that went up against an elite football team and they got their shit shoved in their face. Yeah, the 49ers finally played well, but you could look back at game. I'm just saying we're chirping in one game. The Niners look great for the first time in a month. Yes, they killed it. That's great. They're one of the best teams in the NFL. I'm giving Jacksonville a little slack here. That's all I'm saying. All right, up next, Browns, Ravens, probably the overall craziest game of the 1 o'clock window. Uh, The Browns come back down 14 in the fourth quarter uh, after a major pick six by Lamar. Uh, Deshaun Watson playing his best game in a Browns uniform. And after missing the extra point, the Browns still find a way to go down, march the way down the field and kick a field goal. Uh, 
it's a very interesting question here when we're talking about the Browns and Ravens, right? Because the Ravens have, especially based off of how this game started, they're up 17 to three after the first quarter. They blow this game. Lamar struggling, missed on multiple deep balls that were wide open touchdown passes, hit on the deep one, the crosser from OBJ to get into the end zone. We saw some good things out of the Ravens offense, but yet somehow the Browns hung around and found their way into this game. I'm curious to know where does the majority of the blame go in this loss? Do you put this more on the Ravens blowing this lead or do you give more credit to the Browns coming back and winning this game? Scotty, start with you. I'm on the I'm on the side of the Ravens blowing this game. Like this is uh, a game where we've seen the the Ravens defense to your point, Jeff. We we've said all of a sudden they could be one of the top defenses in the league and here they are letting Deshaun Watson back into the game which to their credit Deshaun Watson looks the most like his old self uh, on the football field than he had ever has um in, in since his his return um so so no credit lost there but the Ravens defense did let up a, they were they were getting crushed on the run that's not what they do they were getting crushed over the middle that's not what they do so the defense lost identity in the second half i think and then this is an offense for the Ravens that just goes on streaks like they could look like world beaters weeks in a row and then all of a sudden uh, Lamar throws an interception and nothing clicks it's like throwing a, a chink into the or a, a rock into the into the armor of um of the uh of the Ravens offense and I think that they can get streaky like that and I so I think that's reason i i would lay more blame on on the ravens because of what happened on both sides of the ball it wasn't the offense kept them in the game and all of a sudden the defense dismantled no it was both sides equally like trying doing their their worst to to uh to let this game slip through yeah dude like why why do they do this it's like baltimore if they get up too much they stop caring this has happened last year it happened earlier this year like it just seems Kind of crazy for a divisional game, but yeah, right. <laughs> how about this? They only had eight third downs in the game. They were two of eight. The the Ravens were like they just they couldn't get it going. Like when to your point, they were streaky when they were some three and outs, or they get a first down and then they were out uh, on third down. Um, they had a, a higher yards per play than the Browns did by over a yard. Uh, That's a running game, right? <laughs> well, and the, to your point, like, yeah, they they just started dominating on, on the offensive side. The Browns did um, crazy to see. Thought Baltimore would be able to hold on to a lead like that. Um, fuck, man, it's divisional, and this shit will happen. But I definitely put the blame more on the Ravens. I love I love the Browns. Their defense played great, but they still gave up 14 points in the second half, and they won and they came back. That offense went off for the Browns. Um, but I think it's because the Ravens kind of didn't look like themselves in the second half. Yeah. I mean, I huge credit goes to Deshaun Watson, uh, finished the second half going 14 to 14. The three possessions the Browns had were touchdown, touchdown field goal to win the game. Uh, obviously the pick six has a large uh, part to do with that. Obviously. Um, I think this is some of where my, hesitancy with a lot of the you know Lamar being the betting favorite for the MVP stuff we talked a lot about like Lamar's been really efficient in this new offense I think the one downside of efficiency is it can sometimes take away from creativity I think it can sometimes take away from what makes them like 
MVP season Lamar looks like a very different player than what we're seeing right now, which is Lamar's running the offense the way he's supposed to. Uh, he missed a couple of big throws in this game that I think could have iced this game away. And the Browns defense is so fucking good that it made it really difficult for them. So those opportunities when Lamar missed a wide open Zay Flowers who had three steps on the cornerback on the outside for a touchdown, you need to cash in on those moments when you're playing against an elite defense. And the Browns basically were like, hey, our best weapon as a football team is to win the game defensively, to let Miles Garrett ruin your day, to have Deshaun Watson like basically just not turn the football over. And in the second half, Deshaun Watson looked more like the Deshaun Watson we saw in Houston. Uh, Jerome Ford consistently being able to run the football throughout the day. Um, There was a lot to like out of this. And Keaton Mitchell had his one long touchdown run at the beginning of the game. After that, I mean, what's crazy is like he had 39 yards on that touchdown run. He finished the day with 34. So he lost five yards than what he had from the original football, from the original touchdown game. Right. Um, Ultimately, the Browns defense paved the way. The Browns defense was the one that like carried the light for this team. And Deshaun Watson didn't ruin it for him. He played really good football in the second half. They cashed in when they needed to, and the defense made a really opportune play. Lamar has been great in terms of running this new offense. To me, this version of Lamar, as dangerous as he always is whenever the ball is in his hand, you can never discount discredit that. It's not the same version of Lamar that feels like he's going to take over this game at some point and scramble for a 25-yard pickup and break the defense's back on a third and twelve. I don't feel like we're seeing that because I feel like he's so laser focused in on running the offense the way it's supposed to be run. So even though the Ravens are seven and three, I still think they're one of the top four or five teams in the NFL right now. I think if they can find a way to merge this scheme that they're running with the, with uh, Todd Munkin with Lamar's ability to just do things on his own, that's when it becomes absolutely terrifying. We haven't quite seen that yet, which makes sense in the first year of a new offensive, a new offense, a new offensive coordinator. Um, but ultimately, the Browns' defense is the best defense in the NFL for a reason. And despite struggling at certain points early on, they came up with the plays they needed to play that they needed to make. Miles Garrett was unbelievable and continued to do the things that has gotten them to a six and three record to this point. Moving forward, the AFC wet, the AFC North feels like it, it can go any combination of ways i think if you wanted to make a case for any of those four teams winning that division you could make that case because they all have games against each other they could all cancel each other out there's all a possibility for all four of them to win this division i still think the ravens are top to bottom the best team in this league i think the ravens should have won this football game but all credit goes to the browns i mean that second half was lights out you had three possessions you went touchdown touchdown game-winning field goal the pick six, like I said, covers up a lot of damage, but ultimately the offense yeah, did their job. And if the defense the, does theirs, then it bounces out. The difference between eight and two, an eight and two record versus a seven and three record going into a, a road game against Cincinnati in week 11 is huge. Coming off like a loss, too. Yeah. That's, that's the margin for error in, in the AFC North. Absolutely. I mean, no, it's it just seems like this is one of those games where and again the Ravens won the first game. I think we were all shocked when they got off to the fast start, and it was like the Browns we thought would make this close. They ended up making it close, and that could have gone the Ravens' way, but Browns pull it out. 
they split this series and in, in the season. And I think that's like the biggest tell for Cleveland is like, Hey, that's a huge win for you because we all think the Ravens are the shit. So uh, good for you guys. Yeah. I, I think seeing a, a really solid second half and a big pressure moment out of Deshaun Watson too, uh, gives you a lot of faith if you're a, a Browns fan, you know? Um, I mean, the, the tweets that were, that were coming in, to, you know, in the first quarter of this game was, you know, Deshaun Watson can't hang in the AFC North. Who is this guy? What's going on? Uh, he looked terrible. Uh, and then he gets injured, comes back, balled his dick off, played really, really good football in the second half, and ultimately did what they needed to do to win a football game. And the Browns' defense, I think, is just so good that you can't ever fully count them out because not if they have an off day like they kind of did in the first quarter of this game where it seemed like, oh, Baltimore's going to run away at this game. They have, between Zadarius Smith and and Miles Garrett, they have the guys who can make a difference with the pass rush to either force a turnover, get a big sack on a third down. Um, I mean, I, I, I had the number up here in front of me, but I think they had six sacks on Lamar in this game. I mean, if you're finding ways to, to get that many, uh, they had four sacks on Lamar in this, or yeah, four sacks on Lamar in this game. If you're doing that against a quarterback as hard to bring down as, as Lamar Jackson, like you're going to put yourself in an, in, in an advantageous situation, uh, despite the fact that they played as poorly as they did before. And, you know, one big play swings your way in a pick six, and that can be the difference in winning and losing. That's what we love about the NFL. So, uh, yeah, big, big win for the Browns, and the AFC North feels as open as it's ever felt, right? The AFC North feels like it can go either way. Um, there's four teams. All three of them have three losses. One has four and they all have games against each other. So the AFC North will be fun to follow as we uh, wrap up the second half of the NFL season here. All right, let's take a switch to the uh, late afternoon games. We only had four this week. uh, So we can rip through these. Uh, The best game, I think overall the day top to bottom was the Lions and Chargers game. 41-38, the over very easily in hand in this game. It felt like uh, (laughs) USC Washington from a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jared Goff balled out. Neither team was interested in playing defense in this game. The Chargers have the highest payroll on the defensive side of the ball in the NFL and yet have consistently one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, this is this is one that I'm not going to walk away blaming Justin Herbert on, right? You know, there's plenty of losses with the Chargers where you can be like, I know people don't want to blame Herbert, but he deserves a little bit of criticism. Not today. Herbert balled out. The Lions balled out. Sam Laporta continuing to shine. Arguably the greatest rookie season of a tight end we've ever seen. Amon Ross St. Brown with another 150 yards and a touchdown in this game. Uh, He comes back healthy after the bye week and looks just as dynamic. I think we're realizing just how important he is to that offense. Um, You know, he was a little banged up going into their bye week. He gets a couple weeks to get right. And all of a sudden, bang, they come out here against the Chargers defense and uh, and balled out in a big big way uh the defense for detroit it's a little bit to be concerned about i think just because look you give up 38 points i know it's justin herbert um but you still shouldn't give up that many points to this team in particular but they found ways you know when they needed to make big stops and ultimately this was a classic example of whoever has the ball left last at the end of the game is going to win the football game and the detroit lions came out and did that they moved to seven and two they're in the driver's seat of that division and um yeah, I mean the Lions are cooking. I, I think they're sixteen and five 
since uh, Dan Campbell had his speech last year about wanting to take, I forget, he made a coaching decision to, to punt, I believe it was, at some point last season. Uh, and they're 16-5 and five since that moment in the fourth quarter. I think it was in like week six last year. So uh, the Lions are cruising. And as you said at the beginning, Scott, no one wants to play this team going into the postseason. No, I do not. Uh, man, I, I think they're better on the defensive side of the ball than this game would uh, would indicate. Of course, we've seen how good they can be on that side of the ball all season long. But like, I, I feel like, and you tell me if this is the case to you, I feel like the Chargers now, with the way that Justin Herbert is playing and how that offense has been looking for most of the season, especially in this game, are like the lines of old like looking like Matt Stafford trying to bring like doing his damnedest to get every single game bring, bringing it down to like the last possession when you're on shot for shot against a team like this uh, th- that to me is is how the Chargers feel right now and and I don't know what's going on on that defensive side of the ball uh given their payroll uh but it's not good and for the Lions man like I know their defense is good I'm not worried about that I, I like I said all the credit to the to the to the Chargers offense on that matchup, particular matchup in this game. But the Lions offense, man, Jared Goff just does not quit, man. I I love this guy. Uh, I, I I don't know what how you stop it because it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to be able to run the ball. Doesn't matter what you do. Jared Goff's going to find somebody over the middle. Sam Laporta has been a huge part of that this year. Amon Ra when he's healthy, same thing. Jameer Gibbs coming out of the backfield um, as a pass catcher as well has been helpful. This offense is dangerous. It really is. And, and Jared Goff is finding ways to win and finding different ways to win week in and week out on the offensive side of the ball. That's a big reason why I don't want to play them because I know what their defense is capable of from a, a week-to-week basis. Uh, and if Jared Goff is finding different ways to win on the offensive side of the ball, I don't want to touch that. They're a really, really darn good football team right now. Dude, not only are they really good. Well, I want to go back to what Jeff was saying about the Chargers defense. Well, both defenses, but the Chargers have spent the most money and they have a defensive head coach and I get the Lions are good, but like I think we're getting close here. I think we're getting close to like needing to pull the trigger on Staley and just say, you're gone. We know this isn't working. We got to do something else. We got to bring in a whole different system. I don't know what it is, but this just isn't working for them. I mean, if you look at it, you know, they're four and five now. Um, Now, you know, they look good against some teams, but they, they still haven't looked amazing, right? They held the Cowboys to 20. They still lost, but that was like probably the most impressive the defense looked all year um that's about it like they they haven't done great you know they play the bears held them to 13 the jets to six those are easy um 36 to the dolphins and the 41 to the lions like those are the better offenses you played 31 of the chiefs i i just don't know they got the uh ravens in two weeks they need to do something as a charger team or else maybe i, I think it's time to say bye-bye to brandon staley yeah, no, I mean, I think coming into the season, he was one of the coaches that was definitely on the hot seat. Um, the issue is not with the offense. I mean, that's for sure. We've, we've seen it all year, uh, despite the fact they struggled against the uh, Jets on Monday night last week. 
it's one of those I think every offensive team struggled against the Jets because the Jets are just that good defensively that they just force you to play really ugly styles of football. They have the fumble return for the touchdown. They have the uh, kick return for the touchdown, right? Those two things kind of help skew the game in your favor. But outside of that, the offense was not clicking. Other than that, though, the Chargers offense hasn't been the issue with this team. I mean, Herbert threw for 123 yards, four touchdowns. He had the one interception, you know, and that was really kind of the difference in this game, right? The, the Detroit played – the Lions played a, a flawless game. They didn't turn the ball over. The Chargers made a mistake offensively, right? And ultimately, if you're forcing your offense to play perfect football – and this goes for both teams in this game. If you're forcing your team to play perfect football offensively, you're not going to win a lot of those games. If you're in a game where both teams are doing that, then you at least have a shot because it turns into a shootout and the Lions played better than the, the Chargers did, uh, at least on Sunday. Um, but, you know, look, Mike Williams going down for the year, that sucks. Uh, they're trying to get as much out of a, a, a rookie wide receiver and Quentin Johnson as they can. But, you know, Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler and Justin Herbert are not going to be enough to get you over really, really good teams. Your, your defense has to show up. And, you know, Joe Joey Bosa had one tackle in this game. You know, I and mean, he was basically a non-factor. Khalil Mack had four tackles, zero sacks. You have Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa on this team, Sebastian Joseph Day in the interior. You have zero sacks against Jared Goff. And look, I know the Lions are one of the best offensive lines in football, but you got to do something. How about the fact, by the way, zero sacks in this game altogether. But what I will say is at least when the Lions are rushing the passer, you have that little, you know, that little jolt in your balls that you're like, oh, shit, he's about to get the quarterback here. You know, you're almost like excited for him to get to that point where you're like, oh, he's he's right there. Oh, he came up a little short. Right. You didn't feel that from the Chargers all day. And credit to the Lions for investing in their offensive line and being really good at that front. You know, and that's a big reason why they're going to be in that, you know, that top five or six group, you know, at the end of the season. The defense is a problem for Detroit. You know, they, they've invested pieces. They're relying on a lot of young talent, whether it's Brian Branch or whether it's Aiden Hutchinson, um, you know, uh, Alex Anzalone. Like, they have guys there that are that are good players, but they're all young, right? So we want to see if they can do it in big games. This is a good test for Detroit where it's like, hey, our offense is humming. We just need you to get a couple of stops. And Detroit struggled to do that throughout the game. The offense bailed them out, so I'll be curious to follow that the rest of the way. But ultimately – the Lions offense outplayed the Chargers. And this kind of feels like another iteration. Like if you give me Detroit, Seattle, and the Chargers, any iteration of those two teams playing, I feel like we're going to end up with a similar result. Obviously, we've seen the Lions and Seahawks have these games. Now we're seeing the Lions and Chargers. I'd love to see the Lions and Seahawks play because I feel like we're going to see another version of that, you know, moving forward. But uh, in terms of right now, the Lions outplayed them offensively. This was an old school style shootout. And the, the Lions came out on top. I'm with you, Vito. I think Brandon Staley, his seat was hot coming into the season. I'm imagining that seat's getting a little bit warmer this week. Uh, and I think by the end of the season, I think it's a very, I think it's very unlikely that we see uh, Brandon Staley as the head coach uh, come week one in 2024. So, uh, and that being said, I mean, look, they're four and five. They're not out of it yet. But you look at the roster, the talent on that roster, and you just kind of shake your head and go, how the hell is this team? outside of the playoffs right now, especially when you have teams like Houston, Cincinnati, Buffalo, they're all five and four, and you're a full game behind those teams. Uh, playoffs starting to seem like it's a it's a far cry away right now for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. All right, let's move to a couple of the other games here in the late windows. 
Uh, Cardinals, Falcons, another walk-off touchdown – or, sorry, walk-off field goal in this game. The Cardinals get their second win of the season. Kyler Murray returns, and he looked pretty good. You know, credit where credit's due. We have not been the biggest Kyler Murray, you know, support group in terms of this mm-hmm. podcast. Um, but 19 to 32 for 249, zero touchdowns. He had the one pick, uh, but he looks good back there, right? He was able to kind of move around. Trey McBride has turned into a legit weapon at the tight end position. Uh, and the Falcons, you can't say they didn't give the ball to Bijan enough. He got 22 carries. He had 95 yards. He did have the touchdown, um, but it doesn't seem like whether it's Heineke or Ritter doesn't look like they have a quarterback right now in Atlanta. that's going to be able to help support this defense. Who's been objectively pretty good going into this point of the season. Yeah, man, I got a classic text from one of our, one of our really good listeners. And he was just like, don't worry, man. I'm sure Kyler hasn't even installed call of duty yet. It was like trying to make me feel better about all my takes for the last the downloads. Take gotta, a minute. You know, I gotta, I gotta eat. I gotta eat my foot here. Listen, Kyler looked way better than I thought he would coming off of nowhere. His move, his like just movement outside the pocket was yeah. so good. It was classic Kyler. I had no idea like that. This guy had been in the NFL for that long. It looked like he was still his rookie Kyler. It was amazing uh, in terms of mobility. So, Credit to him, man. He was at least ready with that. And to your point, um, the numbers actually don't do him justice hearing that. Like I watched that game. It was right. There were four games in the second window. So you could see a lot more of it. He looked good. And uh, the Falcons, man, if they can find a quarterback, they're so close. They really are like that team is pretty damn good on defense. They've got some weapons. I don't know, man. Can't believe it. Scotty, what did you, I mean, I know they're divisional, but like, and you hate the Cardinals, but how did you think Kyler played? I think he played great. I still don't think they're a very good football team on either side of the ball. Um, but he, he played great, you know, and, and it's like Jeff was saying last week. He comes in, like he starts a season. He's usually out by, what, week 10, uh, traditionally unlike any other. And uh, and now he's coming back here in week 10 um, and, and starting his season at that point. And, and so I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, I think there was some things that he – learned on the sideline from from Josh Dobbs even where he wasn't just sitting back there being like I'll wait till I'm ready to go and this is this is my team I'm when I'm healthy I'm taking over and it'll be my show I don't care what anybody else says no I think he actually legitimately sat down and and watched games where Josh Dobbs was playing and kept a minute and learned a, a thing or two um but he looks to your point Vito super mobile um uh, like he usually does to start a season uh but they're going to have to ask him to keep doing that more and more and more because even the receivers uh, didn't get that involved in this game, throwing the ball. I mean, apart from McBride, you have Rondale Moore was your leading receiver uh, apart from your tight end. So um, no Hollywood Brown to speak of um, and, and none of, none of your other receivers really did anything impactful. So we'll see. I think they're going to need Kyler to throw the ball more to be a, a really effective football team. James Conner getting back to in the mix makes a difference. Um, him getting some carries. We'll see. I, I like the way Kyler played, though. I think that's encouraging if you're a, a Cardinals fan uh, heading toward the uh, the last half of the year where uh, in a year where you know already at one and eight year or two and eight now, I guess that you're not going to be uh, in the mix. Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see Kyler kind of come in and look like vintage Kyler, like Vito said, like he, he was he was scampering, right? Like that's the word I use with, with him. He just scampers right around in all the backfield and all the, you know, he just moves back and forth. It's impossible to bring this guy down. He looks like a gazelle out there. 
uh, the way he, he runs around. He's just, he's so quick. Um, and it was cool to see that. It's cool to see him healthy. I, I'll say this, like, I don't think respectfully, I don't think Kyler sat down behind Josh Dobbs and went, all right, now I'm seeing how the uh, franchise quarterback's supposed to look. I think he was pissed that somebody else came in and was the starting quarterback of the team that he looks at as his team, you know? And I think he wanted to come in and make a statement. He said, oh, no one's talking about me. You know, everyone forgets about me. Everyone's assuming the Cardinals are going to tank for, you know, for Drake May or Caleb Williams, whoever it may be. All right, I'll show you. You know, and I think that's a little bit what we saw from this game. I agree with you, Scotty, though. I, I don't think it's sustainable. Uh, I think the defense is still really, really bad on this team. I think they're playing a team that has no idea what they're doing, the quarterback. And going back to Desmond Ritter, I think is a – again, I know Heineke was bad. They had to because of the injury. Yeah. Yeah. And I know he got banged up. Um, but ultimately, I, I think we're seeing there's a lot of flaws with this Falcons team on the offensive side of the ball. It's one thing to be like, hey, we're a we're a wide receiver away, right? You're you're the Eagles, yeah. and you say, hey, we need a Devonte Smith to go with a guy like Jalen Hurts, right? Um, it's another to be like, hey, we need a Drake London and a Kyle Pitts and a Bijan Robinson to go with. Oh wait, we don't have an offensive line, and through the first like five or six weeks of the season, the offensive line played played pretty well. But I think as the season has gone on, we've seen this offensive line has gotten exposed by some you know, some good defenses and some bad defenses here as we're seeing in Arizona. Um, there's a lot of problems with this Atlanta team. I I, I thought Heineke was going to be able to push the ball a little bit more downfield. And we're seeing that uh, to some degree when he's been healthy, obviously he gets knocked out of this game. Ultimately this strikes me as like the, the, the one-off Kyler game where you go, yeah, Kyler looked really good, but then you look around and it's like James Connors back. That's nice to have. They go 122 on the ground. Kyler's going to get you some on the ground too. Um, Trey McBride, great player. But if you're if you're banking on a wide receiver core that is Rondale Moore and Marquise Brown and Zach Pascal, like you're you're, you're not going to win a lot of football games. And uh, I think this is Kyler kind of being like the other thing too. And and whether it's fair or not fair, this is somewhat of an audition for Kyler. Because as we stand right now, the Cardinals are still in position to be one of the top three teams drafting in the NFL draft. And they very well, even if they're not one of the top two, looking at Caleb Williams or, uh, you know, uh, Drake May, they're still in position to draft a quarterback in the first round. And I can tell you now, they don't want to pay that bill, right? They don't want to have to deal with the contract that comes with a guy like Kyler Murray. And there are teams out there, say, and Atlanta Falcons, who might feel like they're a quarterback away, who might be willing to give up some draft capital in order to get a guy, you know, with a contract who has a bunch. Atlanta feels like a perfect fit, weirdly enough, that these two teams played this week for a team, for a guy like Kyler moving forward. So he knows that like his job is not secure. And he also knows that like, Hey, this is my team still. So I'm going to come out here and ball. I'm going to be the, try to be the alpha. I'm going to try to win us a football game. And then if he ends up moving on somewhere else, the best thing he can do right now is to put as good a film on tape as possible because either Arizona is going to trade that draft pick and try to end up gaining some draft capital because of it, or they're going to trade Kyler Murray and he could end up in a new place where maybe he gets a fresh start. And either way, he's getting his guaranteed money. So he's content and the rest of the season will kind of fall as it does. Um, 
But as of now, it definitely shakes, uh, shakes up the, the draft board, at least on the top end, with the Cardinals getting their second win of the season. Uh, all right, we got a few more games here. Giants, Cowboys, don't need to spend any time on this really, other than like this is kind of what we thought would happen. Um, shout out to the DeVito family for showing up and looking like the fucking Sopranos. Um, Tommy DeVito's dad apparently is like a plumbing, has like a plumbing and, and pipe service. Uh, it seems about right. Um, they said they're from the town where the Sopranos was filmed too. Does that oh, where really? his parents actively live? Yeah, where oh, he lives that. at home, which is incredible. fucking gold to your point. Like this, these guys, this is yeah, the they're Jersey as they're as Northern Jersey <laughs> as it gets, you know, uh, wearing the TD chain as he was on the field getting blasted by Micah Parsons and Dexter Lawrence. <laughs> he threw uh, two touchdowns. He did. Tommy Tuddies. You know, Tommy Tuddies. And despite the fact that they have Matt Barkley on the roster, he is going to be the starter for them next season. Um, it's my boy. Barkley's uh, still in the NFL. I actually he was yeah. He was a free agent until uh, Tommy DeVito had to start last week, and then yeah, they brought him in as the uh, oh, as man. the new backup with Tarad out, and obviously Daniel Jones being out. Um, yeah. I have a feeling once Tarad comes back, we'll probably see him running this offense, but maybe not. You know, um, I guess the the only real burning question here is like the Cowboys. This as you said, Scott, they're four and zero at home. Their point differential at home is outrageous. They're they're third right now in the NFL in point differential. They are uh, plus one hundred four as a as a total. Um, you also have to remember, like there was the both games against the Giants. There was the game against the Jets. Um, yes, they did get blown out by the 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 Niners. Right, that that definitely hurts the point differential in that regard. But in terms of them at home right now, they have like the best home dominant stretch we've ever seen. Um, I've heard some people saying, you know, if only this was the uh, BCS, right? They'd be getting some some style points by beating up on the Giants as badly as they did this year. Uh, but moving forward, yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the Cowboys looked really good. And coming off of a bad loss to the Eagles, that it seemed like the Cowboys probably should have won that game, and they didn't. This is kind of what we expected. That's why the spread was 17. Uh, one of the few things that uh, I know I Vito and I both struggled this week with our picks against the spread. So one of the few things that we were at least both in line on that we got right in this game, uh, picking the Cowboys minus 17, they, they dominated. I think it was the start of the fourth quarter when um, that was you and Scotty. I actually, I, Oh, you did. He took the giants. I thought Scotty took the giants. I suck. No, it's it's, Vito and I had a rough week. week. It was my worst week for sure. I mean, all things uh, considered, our worst week on the season, well, your worst week, at least I had a one that was worse than this earlier, but we're only, and depending on what happens tonight, you know, we could very well still be all right, but five, seven, and one, Scotty and our Vito and I were this week mm-hmm. with our picks against the spread. So, so not, not great, but it could be worse, hey, you know? All good. I feel like it's still killing the locks, and that's what I'm yeah. hearing about. But anyway, if we were forward. seven, if we were seven, five and one, we'd feel good, but we wouldn't feel great. So if we're five, seven and one, we don't feel good. We don't feel great. You know, it's the same yeah, thing on bad, the other side. Feel, yeah, yeah, right. You're right. Thank you know, you. live, uh, live, live to see another day. Live to see another day. Uh, but yeah, the Cowboys looked really, really good. Any other things you guys want to throw into this game? The only thing I think no. it's at least worth mentioning is Dayball. Uh, it just seems like that that organization feels a little chaotic. It's one thing to be bad, like the Cardinals have been, but I don't like saying this, but credit to Jonathan Gannon for at least feeling like they've stabilized that franchise. Uh, it doesn't feel super stable in New York right now. No, no, it doesn't. And I think we talked, we touched on it last week with the the idea that you could fire the uh, 
uh, the reigning uh, coach of the year <laughs> in the NFL, which seems insane, but he's not getting anything out of the players he has. Like nobody's healthy at the same time. Even when they are there, nobody's playing well that no, like nothing's meshing right now. Like it did last year. It's not even like break getting breaks or not. It's just like nothing is working. I mean, is this like, and, and I don't know if this is an app description here, but like, all right, do you give the coach of the year an extra year, no matter what, like it, that's that was know. my thought like when we talked about it last to. week. Yeah. I don't know, but like I guess after seeing this again, and like if they continue down this road, Jeff, like do you pull the trigger on Dable, or do you say this is a bigger issue and he's actually not the problem? The only comp that we can have to this moment is Matt Nagy, right? Matt Nagy won Coach of the Year and then proceeded to diarrhea down his pants for four more years, so or three more years. So if I am the head, if I'm, you know, the Maras and you think about the revolving door of coaches that have come through New York in the last couple of years, whether it was the Pat, uh, Pat Shermer experience, uh, Joe judge uh, going all the way back to uh, what, what was his face with the slick back hair. Um, but was it Ben? Remember the guy, remember the coach I'm talking about? He had like oh. the gelled back hair and the, the gross goatee. Oh God, he was like a year. And McAdoo. Yeah. Yeah. You think about the instability since like post Coughlin and it's been McAdoo into Pat Shermer into Joe judge into now Brian Dayball. I think you have to give him another year after this. Like, I don't think you, you, you pull the, the, you pull the trigger on that yet. Um, and the coach of the year thing alone, like makes you at least feel some level of hope that you're like, well, I think they can at least get that back. Um, but I'll tell you what, I don't think you give them more than three. If we see a repeat of this next year, uh, especially because you just invested that money into Daniel Jones and to Saquon, you're kind of stuck with this. And that's the, that's the crazy part. I don't know what coach you're getting that wants to come in and deal with that madness. That's, that's the crazy business in a year where you will be in one of those likely be in one of those positions, the way it's looking to get one of those top quarterbacks. You still have all this money invested in Daniel Jones, which is who you pulled the trigger on instead of Saquon Barkley or, or any of the other weapons. Yeah. And poor Saquon. I, I said out loud in this during this game, like I just I feel bad for Saquon. That's a, like that's a divisional rival, so like and that tells you how bad it is right now that like all divisional rivalries like go to the side and you're just looking at it. Like I just I feel for the dude because he's so good, and you know he could have pulled the Jonathan Taylor and at least tried to like sit out whatever he tried to do the right thing. And now it's like the entire offense for New York is just Saquon and he's just getting pummeled left and right, uh, which sucks. It sucks because Saquon's too good of a player to be wasted on a franchise that has had one, one, maybe two playoff trips since he's been there. Um, and that's just one Scotty's confirming one. Uh, and that's just, that's unfortunate. So I think you hold on to Dayball Cause I do think Dayball's a good coach. But I think his frustration level is a byproduct as to what the off the front office is doing. So I think if you change anything, maybe you change the front office and you get Dayball into that conversation and see if you can maybe make it better. But ultimately, yeah, there's there's a lot of problems in New York right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Cowboys improved to six and three. They closed that gap to two games behind the Philadelphia Eagles. All right. Uh, two more games. Commanders, Seahawks. 
Seahawks, Jason Myers wins walk-off field goal, the last of the walk-off uh, plays we had in this weekend. The Seahawks, they're on an up-and-down coast, right? roller coaster, right? And we can say, and the, and the trendy thing, at least in the DMV right now, is that, like, well, the Commanders always play the Eagles really, really tough. Well, they played the Seahawks pretty damn tough, right? But what Commander fans tell me is that they only ever play the Eagles tough. They don't play anyone else tough. So does this win, is that more of a sign of like, hey, are the Seahawks legit? Or did the Commanders show up for this game? Uh, I mean, look, it took the Commanders all the way down to the last whistle to beat the, the Patriots last week. And the same thing came in here. I think the Seahawks are probably closer to like Philly, Kansas City than they are like New England. But it was still a really ugly game, and ultimately the Seahawks find their way on top. Uh, it felt like watching this game, I was like waiting for the Seahawks to just bust it open, and it just never came, right? It felt like on these drives, it was like, boom, 20 yards to DK, 15 yards to Tyler Lockett. Like every every time that Geno Smith dropped back, it felt like it was an easy first down. But as soon as they got into the red zone, they really, really struggled. Uh, and as much as I, I've been pulling for the Seahawks team and have been a fan of them, that's something that they need to get figured out. But, you know, by the time uh, the playoffs roll around as we approach the second half of the season. This whole game was very strange to me because, again, I, I think very highly of Seattle. I think on the commander's side, like, do you think – what do you think is their ceiling? Can the they, commanders? Can make, yeah, do you think they make? The I mean, I've been I've been saying for like three weeks though. Like, I I think the commanders are good enough to be the seven seed in the NFC. Like, I, I I do think they are. Now, it felt like you know they had the emotional game against New England against an inferior opponent after they made all the trades trades of the the deadline where they got rid of Montez Sweat and they got rid of Chase Young, but. Sam Howell right now is second in the league in passing yards. I mean, Sam Howell is out here balling. He's also the most sacked Crazy. quarterback in the NFL. I mean, <laughs> you know, he's the most sacked quarterback in the NFL since David Carr. And look at if you look at the statistical breakdown between Sam Howell this year and David Carr, his rookie year, right, and this is Sam Howell's first year as a starter, I, you have to just continue to look at Washington and be like, you have a dude here, man. He's really good. Get a fucking offensive line in front of him. Brian Robinson – as a you know running back led the team in, re- in receiving yards this week he had 119 yards six catches he had the 51 yarder which a lot of a lot of those one. yards yeah. yeah a lot of those yards came from um but you have between him and Antonio Gibson you're like you have a decent running back room you have uh you know Terry McLaurin and you have Jahan Dotson Jahan Dotson by the way two targets zero catches zero yards in this game um, but Diami Brown ends up with a touchdown pass. They were clearly locking in on uh, Jahan Dotson with Devin uh, Devin Witherspoon and uh, and and Q Diggs. So um, yeah, it's it's a weird. It's this was a weird game between teams. I think was just kind of more the matchup, and I think ultimately the talent kind of played out to be a little bit more in the favor of Seattle. I think that defense, particularly in the secondary, is really really strong. Uh, I'm really excited to watch them in San Francisco play because I think. Devin Weatherspoon's been awesome. I want to see him go up against Brandon Ayuk. I want to see him go up against uh, Debo Samuel, and and time will tell with that, obviously. But ultimately, look, I think Seattle is is the more talented team. See, the, the Commanders have this way about them where they play up and down to whoever it is that they're playing. So if they're playing 
you know, New England, they play down to New England, right? If they are playing Seattle, they play up to Seattle. If they play Philly, they play up to Philly. When they play Dallas in a couple weeks uh, on Thanksgiving, they're going to play up to Dallas's level. They're probably going to lose, but they're going to play up to that level because that's kind of what the the MO of this team is. Um, to me, there's too much talent on this team to, to continue to waste away. But I think ultimately they're going to end up with really good draft capital out of this. And I think they're going to end up with like probably a top 15 pick the ceiling for them to answer your question. Vito is playoffs. The floor for them is a top 12 pick in the NFL draft. In my opinion. And and Ron Rivera gone. And Ron Rivera being gone. Yeah. Scotty. Uh, I just think that the commanders are are what they are. Like you said, Jeff, I, I think they play up to, to teams level of competition. Uh, whether it's at home on the road, that's a tough place to play in Seattle. Of course, uh, they end up with one sack, but they they followed the recipe, right? Um, don't pressure Gino. Um, don't don't blitz him. Uh, they spent seventy nine percent of their dropback of Gino's dropbacks not blitzing uh, the uh, not blitzing the quarterback, which has been the recipe for success. Make Gino make decisions, throw the ball, and they did that. He didn't look great great for, no, he didn't look great for most of the game. He got big plays from big receivers when it counted the whole game. He did not look good. He did not have his best game. And I, and I think that's part of the part and parcel of the recipe um, is, is allowing him the, the time in the pocket to, to try to make a play. He he looked because there's times this year when you don't blitz him, he looks like New York giants, Geno Smith. That is like, how does this guy have a job in the NFL? And at times he looks like, the world beater that he did last year, who had the most efficient offense, who had the top rated offense in the NFL uh, through most of the season. I don't know what you're going to get on any given week, but I do know, and the numbers bear it out. If you, if you don't pressure him as much, it makes it that much more complicated for him to do his job effectively. The commanders did that. And, and I think, like I said, Gino got a couple of big plays from, from his receivers, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba had a decent game. DK Metcalf had a couple of big catches. He was up around 100 yards. Lockett found the end zone late in the game. That was part of the difference. That's that's just what they do, right? And then he goes on the, the game-winning drive because, like you said, he's got more talent than Sam Howell does right now as an NFL quarterback at least, and, and that was the difference in the game. The guy making kicks all day long, Jason Myers, I don't think he's missed at all since he's been in Seattle. That uh, We'd have to fact-check that. That can't be probably accurate, but... Every time you look, it seems like he doesn't miss. So I just think, you know, Gino is what he is, right? Yeah, I, I do agree with you. But also, I the, the one thing I would push back on is that I actually think over the course of the season, you're right. Like those numbers against like, hey, drop guys in the coverage, play zone, make him make him beat you basically, right? Um, Gino has struggled this year. He was a top 10 quarterback this week. He was ranked eighth in overall offensive performance. He was ranked eighth in terms of passing performance this week. He played a lot better this week against that same style of defense than we've seen him do so far to this season, which I think is a credit to Pete Carroll and that coaching staff, as well as Gino for recognizing, Hey, this is how teams are going to play us. If teams are going to play us with these zones, if they're going to not worry as much about rushing the passer, which trust me, I'm sure San Francisco, uh, Washington would love to have still had Montez Sweat and Chase Young coming down the barrel, right, to try to make life easier or tougher for Geno Smith. But given what he was given by that defense, he was a top-ten quarterback in the NFL this week. So it, it wasn't his 
you know, best game when teams are playing man coverage and you're just letting him beat you because he is as accurate as he is, he they've adjusted to some degree. And if this is the turning point where it's like, hey, this is how teams are going to play us, then this is our game plan against it. Then Geno Smith is going to become a much more difficult quarterback to defend because of the amount of options that they have in that receiving game. But I agree with you that over the course of the entire season, that has been the recipe to beat Gino. The problem is, is, especially when it's a tie game and you need a field goal to win it on the last drive, and you're playing exactly into the hands of how the offensive coordinator drew it up going into that week, then it made the throws easier for Gino. Yeah. And, and ultimately, they prepared for what the defense was going to give them. And that's a huge credit to that coaching staff for realizing, hey, this is how teams play us. This is how we're going to adjust, and this is going to be our thing moving forward. Because if you're going to tell Gino, like, hey, we're going to play in man, he's going to love that. If he's going to start getting good going up against these zone coverages and dropping a bunch of guys back in and, and trying to confuse him with, with disguised coverages and all these different, you know, fake blitzers who drop back into coverage and all this, this little minutia stuff just to make it a little bit harder for him, but he seemed to have at least a good grasp of it on Sunday, then that's going to make it that much harder for guys to defend him moving forward. So uh, I agree. It wasn't his best game by far, but I was encouraged to at least see that the Seahawks offensive staff were prepared based off of what we'd seen the last few weeks against how defenses were playing against Seattle and he played well. So he did, he did well enough to at least give them the win. If he can grow on this, then they become really dangerous. If they don't, then we're probably going to see the same old Gino, you know, kind of show up that we saw in the last couple of weeks before. Um, but that's that's the cat and mouse game of the NFL, right? That's going back and forth. Uh, all right, last game of the week. We have obviously we have uh, Broncos and Bills starting shortly here for us uh, as we're recording this, but we do have Sunday Night Football Raiders Jets. I think this is probably the worst Sunday night game I can remember in a long time. Um, and Michael Mayer comes up with the only touchdown. Great catch. Little fade route. Uh, it felt like a game that was ultimately going to be decided by a fade route, right? Like ultimately who has the guy who's going to go up and make the play because neither team had an offensive scheme that was working. Both defenses played really, really well. Uh, and Max Crosby continuing to be probably the under most underappreciated player in the NFL. Him and Trey Hendrickson, I think are right up there, especially when you talk about those, uh, those, those nasty, ugly guys up front. Uh, Max Crosby, another awesome, awesome game out of him. Uh, Zach Wilson pulled, pulled the Dak Prescott, stepped out of bounds on the dive. That could have been the difference. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, look, this is the Jets defense is so good. Um, and, and they're probably going to end up as like the number one scoring defense in the NFL at the end of the season, which is crazy to think about. And God, if they had Aaron Rodgers, you have to at least think, even though Rodgers was not great last year with the Packers, his last season, He's better than what we're seeing here and just the knowledge alone and getting the ball into the hands of Garrett Wilson and everything. You would think this Jets team would at least be, you know, six and three, right? They'd at least be in the mix with some of these uh, top-end teams, the AFC, just based off of how good Robert Sala has these this defense playing. Um, Jets fans are unhappy, understandably. It's incredibly frustrating when you have a defense that good. Vito. I mean, it's not too dissimilar to what you guys went through last year, right? I mean, if you guys just average goes like 20, 20 points yeah, a game points last a game year. We're in the playoffs. Yeah, and it feels like probably the same for these guys. And what sucks is like 
not only do you know who could do that for you, they're on your roster. You just can't get them in the game because they're hurt. Like, it's got to feel so bad being like, you know what? Like, the front office, I guess, should feel good that, like, they knew the missing piece. They went out and got it. Didn't work out. Now, we're hearing that he's going to come back. And what latest thing I saw was, what, mid-December? Is that real? He said to McAfee he aims to be back by December. I... I mean, it, it would be the most unprecedented injury recovery in the history of professional yeah. sports. That's a, that's a Jesus Christ miracle. Yeah. Yeah. That's Lazarus in three days. Like this is this dude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we, if, if he does yeah, it, I think, but if, if he does, if he does that, then I think we all have to agree to do ayahuasca together. Cause Aaron Rodgers is on something that uh, clearly we don't understand. He's <laughs> at a higher plane than our existence, our humble existence. Um, I there's no shot that's happening, especially if we're talking about like, I don't want to say no shot. There's a very low chance that that happens. Um, I just, I mean, look, if it does, I, they might find the end zone. Yeah. And, and look, Willie Cologne was on a, a, a radio show I was listening to earlier today and, and he covers the jets. He's on their post game crew for TV. And he said like, yes, the clips that go viral on social media of him throwing the football are great. Watch the clips of him on the sideline watch how gingerly he walks up and down the sideline. Like, yes, he's walking, which that in and of itself is unbelievable. But if we're sitting here, I mean, we are, it's, it's November 13th as of right now, right? We are two, two and a half weeks away from it being December. So if we're talking about like the last weekend in December, great. If we're talking about mid December, we're talking about him going from barely being able to put pressure on his ankle and, and limping up and down the sidelines to he's going to be, playing in an NFL game and planting and dealing with pressure and, and avoiding, you know, 300 pound guys trying to yeah, fall at his dude. feet. I, it, it still seems like a stretch to me. Um, and look, ultimately if the jets continue to lose, if they drop the four and six, if they drop the four and seven, there's no way Rogers is coming, is, is, is coming back this year. Oh, right. Yeah, Cause it just makes gotta no be in sense. contention for it. Yeah. Yeah. If they're in contention, maybe, right. I'll at least entertain the thought, but until then, yeah, I have a hard time. Uh, and Antonio Pierce, man, I mean, two and O is the Raiders head coach. They're five and five likely not going to win They're You know, they're definitely not going to win their division. They're not out of it for the postseason. Um, and on top of it, too, how many teams have we looked that have played the Jets that have looked this badly offensively, right? Like, I'm not holding this game against Aiden O'Connell because he struggled offensively in this game. All, I'm, all I'll say is just that, like, Aiden O'Connell, to me, like, has shown enough to be like, give the young kid the keys. Jimmy G's helping him. You have nothing to lose. You go out there and try to win as many football games as you can. You're in contention right now, right? And And – if you can figure out a way to roll this train, I, I'll say the more games that the, the Raiders win, the better job security it looks for uh, Antonio Pierce moving forward. And after what we saw again, like I said last week, with the Rich Pisaccia story a couple of years ago, they they let a guy who led them to the playoffs out the door, you know, as an interim head coach. I don't think Mark Davis is is the kind of guy who will do that two times in a row. Uh, so I, I, I like what I'm seeing out of the Raiders, although I don't think they're a playoff team. Uh, but at this point, out of what we've seen out of the NFL, I mean, who who fucking knows? They could end up in the postseason. I wouldn't be shocked. Me either, man. I, I think the Raiders, it's cool what's going on, right? It's cool what's happening. And, like, even as a Broncos fan, I'm, I'm rooting for that team just to have a decent year. You know what I mean? It's been fun. It's been exciting. 
Um, and who doesn't like an old coach? Like, I think it's a different situation than what Saturday went through last year. People have to remember that very, very different. He was already on the staff, everything, you know, very, different. Yeah. but fucking cool. So like it's great story. I hope he does well. Yeah. Like I think everyone is rooting for that guy. So I hope he gets a full-time job. Well, I think he's gonna be really good. So maybe I don't as a Broncos fan, but like for him, <laughs> he deserves it, I think. And uh, I'm a little worried about it, which is how you know it's going to be good. Which is how you know it's good. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, any other thoughts, Scotty? No, no, this game stunk. I went to bed. Yeah, it was terrible. It was a terrible game. <laughs> I hope you guys cashed in when we told you guys. This is for all the fellas out there. This was the Sunday night game where you say, hey, sweetie, I don't know. Let's watch your favorite. What's what's that movie you wanted to watch? Like, I hope you guys cashed in on that because it lived up to exactly the expectations we had coming into it, which was gross. The rest of the week, though, <laughs> was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, all right. That's all the games we have. Again, we have uh, Broncos Bills tonight. Good luck to Vito and his boys. Let's hope that they find a way to come back and, uh, you know, hey, win here. And you're only one game below 500. Win you know? here and we're tied with the Chargers. How about, How about that? It? How about that That's first stat? And you're only a half game behind the Bills. Yeah. So, uh, big game for the Broncos, Monday Night Football. Uh, right now, it looks like the Bills are eight-point favorites. That line has grown since the start of the podcast. So, if uh, if you happen to hear this before the game plays – Throw your money on the on the uh, Broncos because I think that's you're fading the public there. And uh, as that number grows, I don't know. I'm not I'm not feeling super confident in Josh Allen and the boys in Buffalo, but we'll see. Nobody circles the wagons, as they say. All right, that's all we got for Scotty, for Vito. I'm Jeff. Thank you all for hanging out for another great podcast. We'll be back on Friday. Previewing week 11, we have the heavy hitters, Dolphins, Chiefs, Eagles all back. Chiefs-Eagles play on Monday Night Football, an awesome slate this weekend. Uh, so get ready for that. Get excited. We are also coming down to the last couple of weeks of uh, the regular season in college football. So enjoy the last couple of weeks of that. College game day again. Going to Harrisonburg. Shout out the Dukes. And we'll be back on Friday previewing all the games here in week 11. And we'll talk to you guys then. Until then, though, take it easy, everybody. <laughs>